Good morning. Good morning. Hey guys. Hey Dave, I see you there. Hi Steve. Good morning. Good to see you. Shabbat shalom. Brian, hey Chris. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. I know it's easy there, Jesse. Good to see you. Shabbat shalom. Hey, Hi, Sherry. Good morning. Hi, Andrea. Brian, Chris, good to see you. Helen. Okay, now I know that's not Dina there on, the, on Dina's phone. <laughs> good to see you. All right. Hi, Kimberly. Hey, Carol. Hey, Pamela. Shabbat shalom. Glad to see you made it here, Dale. Good to see you, brother. And, and I see Mary's in here. Okay, good. All right. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Dr. P. And Shabbat shalom. Hey, Chris. Good to see you, brother. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. I'm not putting it. And everybody. Let's see if we've got everybody. We've got some reason I can't admit. Okay, want. Right. Oh, good. Okay. Well, today is kind of an exciting Shabbat, I think. Very exciting. Uh, the Torah portion is just fantastic. And um, I want to go through that today. Because of, um, there's some really critical content in that Torah portion that uh, I think it's going to be good for us to talk over. I mean, all of it is just spectacular, really. But let's see what we can do to get people in. Okay, let me see if I can get the chat open here. Shabbat shalom, Stephen. Shabbat shalom, family. Yeah, hi. Shabbat shalom. Good to hear, good to hear Shabbat you. Shabbat shalom. There you are, Gabriella. Shabbat shalom. Is that John Barra here? That's me. I think it Coming is. On. Good to hear you, brother. Shabbat shalom, Dr. P. Shabbat shalom. All right. Get in there. All right. Shabbat shalom. Right. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Raina. Hey, Rebecca. Good to see you. Hi, Lois. Glad morning, you guys Dr. are here. Let's see here. Just a minute. We got to get Ipa and Corey always have a little bit of a bandwidth issue coming in from uh, Ireland there. And which is okay. But once they get connected, they're good, but it takes a little bit. Let's see here. There he is. Hi, John. Hello there. Good to see you. Good to be here. Murray's coming in. All right. Let's keep going here. Normally I get it and admit all prompt, you know, but I'm not getting into it. Let's see. There it is. All I had to do is look for it. <laughs> hey, Bird. All right. Let's see here. So we, we are living in interesting times, are we not? Brothers and sisters, we live in interesting times. And I know on the... Hi, Randall. Hey, am I seeing a beard trim over there, brother? <laughs> yeah, I had to. <laughs> It'll go back. Looking good. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Looking good, looking good. Hi, David. Let's see here. Shabbat shalom, Stephen. Shabbat shalom. Good to see you. Okay. All right, there we go. Now we got Ipen Corian. All right, good. All right. Let's see. We continue on here. But as we live in these interesting times, it's funny. In the separate Telegram group, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, about the second Exodus, you know, and the promise of the second Exodus. But there should not just be a promise of the second Exodus, but also uh, a promise of Yah covering us in the hour of calamity, 
right? And there's three reasons why he would cover us in the hour of calamity. One, because we have a little strength remaining. Two, because we have guarded his word. And three, because we have not denied his name. This is the promise of the Church of Philadelphia, and which is the only church of the seven churches that is not admonished in the book of Chazon and Revelation. The only church not admonished. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. All right. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Let's see here. And so as a consequence, we, you know, we need to look for both of those things, really. And I do think we're going to talk about the Torah portion today, uh, kind of about what, what the promise is, what the promise is in that Torah portion. And, and I think we also need to look at, I think there's some prophecy here in the Torah portion that points to our current times. There's going to be a real shakeup. Hi, Elizabeth Bass. Good to see you. Congrats on your baptism, sister. It was absolutely pure, pure wonder, pure wonder. Yeah, it was beautiful. Okay, let's see. We got to get Joe and Karen Lehote in. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to turn off my camera. Okay, fine, fine. I was going to do the same because we face another story. Okay, so we are, I think, about ready to start. So let's start with prayer, and then we'll keep admitting as we go. Okay. So I want to thank you guys for uh, being so faithful as to come together as a family on Shabbat, this Shabbat fellowship. We know one another. And as my friend Ricky would say, we're few and far between throughout the world. And this is who Yah has called to this. And so that's who we are. And so let us come to know each other and love each other and be part of a single family. Okay. So Barukata Yahweh. On this day, Father, bless your name. Bless you. Bless you, Father. Bless you for keeping us. Bless you for covering us. Bless you for blessing us. Blessing you for giving us life and life more abundantly. Bless you, Father, for giving us this fellowship and for giving us this Shabbat, that we might have a day of rest to lift up your name and to say, blessed are you, Yahweh Eloheka, in all things. And that you have elected, Father, to bring your presence among us even today. That your presence would be with us. She would guide us and steer us in a correct direction. But we are your people, Father. And we don't want to walk this path without you. Let your presence be among us, even now. And that you would guide us, and lead us, and direct us. Be our Savior. Be our Deliverer. Be our Redeemer. Be our Avenger. Be all those things to us, Yahweh, Yahusha. We pray this now today that you bless us in your spirit and in your truth. Amen. Amen. And so it is that we, we have this promise that has been given to us by Yah here in the Torah portion. So I'm just going to start with this because these words are just so uh, powerful and wonderful. So we start here. Begin in Exodus. Thirty-three, twelve. Let me see if this right. Yes. 
Exodus 33:12. And Moshe said unto Eliyahu, see, you say unto me, bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. I may know you. I may find grace. I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation as your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you. I will give you rest. And he said to them, if your presence goes not with me, Carry us not a pinch. We don't want to go unless your presence is with us. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? How is it that we know that we have the grace of Yah? Because his presence is with us. Because he goes with us. So shall we be separated, I and your people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I know you by name. And he said, I beseech you, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now we see that Yah's mercy accompanies the delivery of his name. I will give my name to whom I will give my name. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And Yahweh said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, this was Moshe who would not be able to see his face. He would be in the cleft of the rock in the presence of Yahweh. As Yah proclaims his name to him. Sets him apart by his grace, by his presence and by his mercy. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Hew you two sapphire stones like unto the first, and I will write upon these sapphires the words that were in the first sapphires which you broke. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me at the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with you, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two sapphire stones like unto the first. And Moshe rose up early in the morning and went up into the Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him and took in his hand the two sapphire stones. And Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there. 
and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh El, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and under the fourth generation. And Moshe made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Adonai, let my Adonai, I pray you, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold, I cut a covenant before all your people. I will do wonders, such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which you are shall see the work of Yahweh, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with you. Guard at that which I command you this day. Behold, I drive out before you the Emory, the Canaanite, the Hitti, the Perizzi, and the Chivi, and the Yebusi. Take heed to yourself lest you cut a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither you go. Lest it be for a snare in the midst of you. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their Ashtaroth bowls. You shall worship no other El, for Yahweh Kana is my name. He is a jealous El lest you cut a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a-whoring after their Elohim to do sacrifice unto their Elohim and one called you and you eat of his sacrifice and take of their daughters unto, their, unto your sons and their daughters go a-whoring after their Elohim and make your sons go a-whoring after their Elohim. You shall make no molten Elohim. The feast of matzah you shall guard seven days. You shall eat matzah as I have commanded you in the time of the month of Aviv. For in the month of Aviv, you came out from Mitzrayim. All that opens the womb is mine and every firstling among your cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. But the firstling of an ass you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you redeem him not, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In earing time and in harvest time, you shall rest. Now this verse here, verse 22, is where I want to stop for a minute. And you shall observe the feast of Katsir, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of Asif at the year's end. Now we're going to take a look at this verse. I want to take a look at this verse on uh, Esword, if we can. Let me see if I can dial it up here. We had a real problem with Esword the other day. We couldn't seem to get it up, but I'm going to see if I can, if we can make it work today, because this verse, I've been looking very closely at this verse. It's a difficult verse uh, in the Ivrit, and I'm going to show you why. Let me see here. Okay, let's share.
Oh, wow. I'm going to let me share a lot of stuff. Uh, there it is. Okay. Okay, we can see Esword here. All right. So let's go into Exodus 34. And let's look at verse 22. Now, here it is here. Okay. I'm going to kind of go through it word by word. We can take a look and see what you guys think. So the first word is hag, bahag, and the feast, right? And the feast. Shavua. Now, they say the word is Shavua, but you can tell that it has a tab at the end. So because it has a tab at the end, this is Shavuot. Shavuot, right? Shavuot, the feast of sevens. Next word, asa, which is, now here you see, you have the word asa, but we have a tav in front of it, right? We have a tav in front of it. So when you see the tav in front of it, that means it's the tav prefix. And the prefix, when you have this tav like this, you have the tav here, the tav in front of it. And then the word is asa, right? Asa. So asa means make. But when you have the tab in front of it, this means you shall. Right? You shall. And it typically uh, appears when you're talking about a mitzvot or a command. You shall. You shall make. So, rachag shabot, you shall make. Lech. Bikuri, Bikuri, right? Now, when we talk about Bikuri, again, we look at this word Bikuri. So it says Bikur, the first fruits of the crop, right? Bikur, the first fruits. We're seeing some real names here for feasts that you would typically talk about in the faith, right? Shavuot. Bikur, right? Now we have some other words that are going to appear. Namely, this word here, katsir. Katsir. Well, again, another interesting word, right? Katsir, that is harvest or the severed, right? So here we have lech bikur, first fruits of the crop. Now katsir of the harvest, okay? Kita, that's wheat or chitim, weeds, if you will. You know, the pearl of wheat, chitim. Vahag, again, another feast. Okay, now here we have ha'asif, of the ingathering, the ingathering, the feast of the ingathering. Where we're going to get into something interesting is right here. Tekufa. Tekufa ashana. Now, we know Hashana, take a look at this word. Shana means what? A year. But look at this, what this talks about here when it talks about this, Hashana. A year, as in a revolution of time. Revolution of time. So what this tells us is, is that the year 
is like this, right? So where, where the year starts is also where the year ends. So Shana here, a revolution of time, where we get into something curious when we deal with this idea of Tekufa, okay? Now Tekufa, this is talking about, again, what? A revolution, a revolution of the sun course, a circuit come about or to end. So when we see this passage, this passage is, is a passage of con controversy among the brothers and the sisters, because some people say, well, look, you can't really count tekufa as meaning something. But tekufa is kind of like when you talk about uh, the moon cycle, what do you talk about? We talk about the word Chodesh, right? And Chodesh is, does not refer to the moon per se, but rather refers to the moon cycle, refers to the moon cycle. But the Tekufa, on the other hand, refers to the sun cycle, right? The circuit. This, the course, the sun cycle, see? So tekufa is the cycle of the sun, kodesh, the cycle of the moon, because the word for moon is yiriak, right? It's yiriak. And that's why Jericho, the, the, the name Jericho comes from yiriako, the city of the moon. Kodesh, it comes from the word chadash, renewed. So when we talk about this tekufa, then we have to talk about something that is of interest, which is, if it is the circle of the world, then where is this beginning point? Because this is saying, well, the end of the year, right? And the revolution of the year, the marker of the year. So we have something here that's very interesting, this verse. And the Hag Shavot, and the Hag Shavot, you shall make your harvest of wheat, the katsir, the wheat harvest, hitim, and the harvest of the ingathering at the end of the sun cycle in the, that marks the year. That's one way of understanding it. So this could be, so I think you have a number of choices that you could have here for this Tekufa. You have solstice, equinox, solstice. These are the four markers that are kind of readily available to people to, to understand. You can see them as a marker on the, on the sun. But what we know about this is that in the solstice, this period, kind of like the full moon, the solstice can be like this, right? So you have, well, it kind of goes into solstice here, then solstice here. And maybe you have like a three-day period over the solstice where you have either the longest days of the year or the shortest days of the year. But on the equinox, you have a point where you have exactly the same amount of night as you do day. It's exactly equal. So we see that in the in the old world, 
you would see that there would be markers for finding the equinox. In fact, the pyramids are built to determine the equinox. Because as we know, the pyramids, let me just close this here for a second. As we know with the pyramids, the pyramids are built not, the pyramids are not built in a square like this. They're not built in a square like this. Rather, the pyramids are built with this slight indentation here in the middle like this. Slight indentation here, and a slight indentation here, and a slight indentation here. Which is, which is remarkable given the size of the stones and all that construction. And this is facing perfectly north. So as a consequence, when we hit an equinox, we get a shadow that appears here and appears here. And these shadows can be measured. And when they're measured and these shadows are exactly the same length, we have determined the equinox. So we have a, as we do with the dark moon, with the dark moon, we have a specific minute when we hit a complete dark moon. There's a specific minute to it. With a full moon, you get like, you could have three days of a full moon. With a dark moon, you have a specific minute. With an equinox, you have a specific minute. So when we're talking about the end of the year, is it possible that we're talking about the autumnal equinox? Because the autumnal equinox is going to come in around, you know, 921. It's usually the autumnal equinox, which would signify the end of the year's year circuit, which is then going to mark the feast of ingathering, feast of ingathering. Now, this ingathering, I think, is more than just Sukkot. Sukkot is a uh, it's a big part of it, but Sukkot is the idea of dwelling in booths, not necessarily gathering your harvest. This passage here, though, talks about us gathering our harvest, the ingathering of the wheat and the harvest of the year's end. So for those of you that are farmers, you know that there is a gathering at the year end. I mean, I can tell you that last Monday, of course, we're up here in Alaska, Last Monday, Stephanie and I were back in town. And so we went to see if there was anything remaining in our garden. And there was. There was a surprising amount remaining in the garden that was still harvestable. And we still had lots of carrots. We still had lots of beets. We had six or seven heads of cabbage. We had some spaghetti squash that was still on the vine that we had missed. And we had peas and we had uh, these um, um, hava beans that we were growing. And of course, beets, right? Beets for days. So we picked them. We picked it all Monday morning. And Monday afternoon, it snowed and killed everything. So we got the stuff out of the garden in the nick of time. So the point being is that that would be the year-end harvest. Now, maybe it's a harvest schedule. I think Joe Dumont takes the position that it's a harvest schedule. And just as he takes the position that the first month, it depends on when the barley is in a bee and, and no other reason. Well, I mean, it's a marker, uh, but it's also possible that it's a marker based upon the vernal equinox. 
and not the winter solstice or the summer solstice, but rather on the vernal equinox. Anyway, I wanted to point that out to you so that you would see that aspect of the Torah portion, okay? This verse 3422 and the use of this word tekuvah, because tekuvah is obviously uh, an important word in this situation. Rob, you were going to say something on this? Yeah, I just wanted to say that it shouldn't be a dividing issue. It's it's vaguely worded, and it usually agrees. The, the, the barley usually coincides with the equinox, so it's nothing to get all up in a, in a, in a tiv about. Do you have Big Ben going off there in the background? Is that what I'm hearing? Or is that Dave that's, that's got Big Ben going off? <laughs> I'm hearing Big Ben going up. Hey, look, kids, it's Big Ben. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that, Robin. And I think, you know, look, I think the time for division between the brethren is just about over. Okay. This is what I was talking about a Thursday night. We talked about in common subjection to the faith. And we're going to be talking about these things. I'm going to be talking about this more next Thursday, too, about being in common subjection to the faith. Because instead of us being in common objection to the faith, we need to be in common subjection to the faith. And there's We're not things. Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You know, the, you know, I was thinking about Protestantism. You know, now that you bring it up, you know, Protestantism was really all about getting a divorce, right? I mean, that's really what it was all about. The um, uh, this was something that Martin Luther brought to the Germans. He brought divorce to the Germans. And he himself divorced from the church, and then he brought divorce to the Germans, and then and the German warlords were willing to die to protect it. And when Protestantism came to the British Isles, it came to the British Isles because the king wanted a divorce, right? Henry wanted a divorce, and the church would not allow for divorce, and so he had to break from the church to get a divorce. Then when William and Mary of Orange took over the leadership in Britain, German leadership, Lutherans, and it was very interesting that the, the generals that fought the Battle of the Boyne in Ireland, the Battle of Athlone in Ireland, were German generals. They were Lutherans. And they were Lutherans that were there to protect the Protestant faith and particularly the right to divorce. Now, this has led us to where we are today, which is where the number one right discussed uh, among the, uh, the Western world right now is the right to abort. And this is the big dividing line among the people of the Western world, the right to abort. And, and maybe that's kind of a, let's call that pseudo-Protestantism or advanced Protestantism, neo-Protestantism. I don't know what it is, but it, it's something where you have a break away from whatever is the dominant paradigm to say, well, we have the right to do this. Now, I can tell you this has become an issue here where I am. There has been uh, several churches, and you know, there's a church on every corner where I live, and you would think that that would mean that there's faithful people here. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. Because uh, last, I guess, last Sunday, a couple of the pastors got up in the LGBT rainbow and uh, said, this stuff is, you know, needs, we need to love on our brothers and sisters under the LGBT flag. And another pastor got up and said, look, this church intends to protect the right to abort. And so the pastor is preaching a pro-abortion line from the pulpit. Now, for me, this is not at all surprising because this is uh, what happens when you lose common sense and you take on 
nonsense. When you lose common sense, you take on nonsense. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves the question. I mean, this is not the first time that children have been sacrificed as part of the social order. It's certainly not. In fact, it was very common practice. It was a common practice during the time of Moshe. It was the practice of the Canaanites. It was the practice of the Moabites. It was the practice of the Ammonites. They would sacrifice their children in the fire to Molech. And this was done in the public square, right? It was done in the public square. Now, we're very close to this being done again in the public square. And so when we look at Protestantism and you see that there was this discussion of quote unquote of Christian liberty. And to this day, you will hear people who are pretty well steeped in the faith. Typically, they, they operate on a 66 book Bible. They operate in a Protestant church and they proclaim Christian liberty. And what is Christian liberty? Well, under Christian liberty, they have the right to kill. They have the right to commit adultery. They have the right to commit rape. They have the right to steal. They have the right to covet. They have the right to blaspheme. <clears throat> they have the right to do all that because all of those restrictions that prohibited that, they're instructed, were nailed to the cross. Therefore, therefore, there is no covenant teaching. There is no command. There is no anything. There's just live your life under grace and walk away. But <clears throat> in Jude, in verse four, it says that wicked men will slip in among you and teach that the grace of Yah is lasciviousness. Now, Jude says categorically, this, this is wicked. This is a wicked teaching. <clears throat> now, of course, I can understand the push in Protestantism because the Catholic Church had blended so many things and was so authoritarian. I mean, the church was willing to murder millions of people. And there was no justice. We've accused you, therefore you're going to die. Admit that you're a uh, Sabbath keeper. Well, I'm not going to admit that because I don't keep the Sabbath. Okay, well, we're going to torture you until you do. And so they hang you from, you know, from the, they hang you from your hands with your hands behind your back, dangle you from the ceiling until your, shoulder, your arms are out of joint. They put you in an iron maiden. They put stuff in your mouth to break the roof of your mouth open or to, to break your jaw. I mean, whatever it took, they had all, a, whole tor, tor, a ton of torture stuff. Now are you going to admit you're a Sabbath keeper? I don't keep the Sabbath. You better admit it. And so then when you finally get around to having all your arms dismembered, and, you know, you've got a few things missing, your, your back is broken, et cetera. And you say, okay, I'll admit it. Don't kill me anymore. Okay. Well, you, we knew you were always a Sabbath keeper. Burn them at the stake. So once accused, you were dead. There was no, there was no out of it. There was no getting out of it. Somebody accused you, you was dead. There was no trial. There was no jury. There was no weighing any evidence. And then the church proceeded to burn people. You know, they called it the auto de fe, right? The auto de fe. And even in Mexico City, Mexico City, they burned over 100,000 people for keeping the Sabbath in Mexico City. There were millions burned at stake in Spain during the Inquisition. People slaughtered. There were, you know, 40,000 Protestants that were slaughtered in La Rochelle, France. There were 40,000 followers of Jan Hus that were slaughtered in Prague, the Czech Republic, right? Because they disagreed with Catholicism. But did the Catholic Church have it right? And that's a question. Did the Catholic Church have it right? And the answer is no, they didn't. Because even Yausha says what? 
you know, Moshe suffered to give us a certificate of divorce, right? This was the question. Moshe suffered to give us a certificate of divorce. And Yosha says to them, Moshe suffered to give you a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But I tell you the truth that in the beginning, it was not so. Now, for Yasha to say that in the beginning it was not so is to say that Moshe's Torah contradicted a pre-existing Torah. It's a very, very important point. It's a very, very important point that any of the believers should know. So when you see this now, then he says, I tell you the truth, that there, there is no reason for divorce except for pornea. It's the word that's used in the Greek, pornea, pornea. But what does it mean? You know, this is, again, another problem, because when people say, oh, the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, it was conceived in Hebrew, because when you put a Greek word on there, you're going, uh, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. It was the Greek word we used to try to make it fit on top of something else that was being said. Now, I personally believe that what Yahushua was saying, although I think it was much more comprehensive, but I think what he was saying was he wasn't just saying na'af, although he may have said na'af, right? Because what does the scripture say in Exodus? Lo to na'af, you shall not break wedlock. Now, it's very important that this term na'af, because we read it in most of our scriptures as you shall not commit adultery. And then when you're a kid, you're asking, well, what's adultery, right? And everybody whispers behind your back, well, we're not going to tell you, you're a kid. And then when you get to be an adult, they say, well, what's adultery? Well, I don't know. Being an adult, what does that mean? Right? But na'af is a more important word. Na'af, thou shalt not break wedlock. Thou shalt not break the bond, the marital bond between husband and wife. Now, this is a much more difficult proposition, and it's a much more, uh, it's a greater requirement of you. You can't just sit here and do like uh, Bill Clinton and say, I, all these sexual practices here aren't adultery. It's only when I do this that it becomes adultery, you know, the Bill Clinton idea. Well, that idea is, again, anathema to scripture, because anathema is about not breaking the marital bond between husband and wife. However, I mean, pornea could have had another reach too, which was that in the Torah, a man has a right to divorce his wife if it is found that she's not a virgin at the time of the wedding. Now, of course, logic, and I think scripture does provide that this accounts for both people. The man should be a virgin and the woman should be a virgin at the time of the marriage. This practice, by the way, which is prescribed by Yah, is a practice that is beneficial to the social order, tremendously beneficial to the social order. And in fact, recent studies have shown that a society that practices that becomes a robust, growing society. And when you begin to walk away from that, which our society is a far cry away from that, but when you begin to walk away from that, you begin to eat the flesh of your own arm. You know, instead of you going out and hunting and gathering and gathering new crops and gathering new food, you're eating this stuff in the storehouse, right? That's what you're doing. You're eating this stuff in the storehouse. You're spending your savings account. That's what's going on. 
when a society walks away from that. Now, the farther you walk away from that, which is where we are now, with the big argument up here in our community, is how to accommodate transgendered students at the local schools for the bathrooms. That's the big argument that's in the community now. Well, when you get to this point, you've lost all common sense and you become a nonsensical, but more importantly, a suicidal society. You're killing yourself, okay? You're killing yourself. Now we as a social order, we've long since gone through the savings account and we've racked up $31 trillion in debt, right? We went through the savings account a long time ago. And now we've got $31 trillion of debt. And we have leaders who are engaged in nothing but nonsense. When you hear some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth, you have to go, uh, and what's the thinking behind that again? There's no logic there at all. There's no reasoning because there's no truth. All there is is nonsense. So the common subjection to the faith begins with this idea, gee, this is where we should be in marriage. But Mashiach nonetheless provides for and says the Torah does provide for divorce. And it's divorce when a man abandons his wife, for instance. When a man goes away and he's gone for several years, the woman is free to leave, right? Paul talks about when a man and a woman are married, and one is a believer and the other isn't, and the non-believer goes away, that the believer is free, right? I mean, these things are in scripture, and it's the same thing with adultery, right? The same thing with adultery, the same thing with pornea. This is kind of discussed by Mashiach as well. So there is reason for divorce. Now, were these the reasons that Henry VIII had? No. But the church had done like a lot of churches would do. For instance, a lot of churches say there's absolutely no drinking, right? But scripture provides that Timothy should drink a little wine with, you know, mix a little water with his wine, right? So this idea of, well, we're, we're a church that's going to ban drinking altogether. Well, you know, and I'm not advocating drinking here, but I'm just saying that Scripture does not provide that. Scripture says, well, yeah, there's a little drink and a little wine with a little water. It's not the end of the world. Just like you can't sit here and say, we're going to create an arbitrary ban that says nobody can get divorced. There are times when divorce is provided for in the Torah. It's provided for. But, you know, when you talk about that, what about dowries? That's also provided for in the Torah that's supposed to be in place that people don't do. What about courting? What about the idea that a woman is under her father's cover and then comes under the cover of her man? I mean, all these things are in the Torah that we don't practice, but that we should. And and we don't do it because we've been told that we have Christian liberty to do whatever it is that we want. So when you see this push, In Protestantism, there was a demand for divorce, a demand for divorce, and the church would not give it. And as a consequence, a revolution occurred and the Protestant church was born. Now, in Protestantism, there should be resistance to the idea that the practice of abominations, which is what's going on in the world right now, is abominations are being practiced. The practice of abominations should be condemned even by the Protestant church. And some of those abominations include, you know, men lying with other men as they do with women, women lying with beasts. Those are called abominations. Women marry, wearing men's garments, men wearing women's garments. Those should be called abominations. 
these are all, you know, eating the wrong food. And what about the seven abominations that, that are laid out in Proverbs, right? A prideful look. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the seven things that Yah hates that are called abominations. These are abominations. And the, the Protestant church should be condemning those abominations, but they're not because they can't because they're walking into iniquity premised upon the lasciviousness that has been preached to them by wicked men who have entered into the congregation. So we as a people have to look at this and say, okay, is there a common subjection to the faith? When Paul talks about this in Galatians, he says, we were given the law in order to teach us the common subjection to the faith that afterward would come. So this language is kind of very interesting language because he's telling us this faith that's going to come, we're, we have to prepare ourselves for that faith by being in common subjection to the law that Yah has provided. Not necessarily the law that Moshe provided, but the law that Yah had provided. And this discussion is resolved in the Gospels when Mashiach is talking to the woman at the well and says, ye know not what ye worship, because salvation is of the Yahudim, which means what? It's not just Moshe's Torah. It's the Nevi'im. It's the Ketuvim, right? It's the writings. It's the prophets. All of these things are there to discuss and to give us the true parameter of the law. Why? Well, in Jeremiah 7.21, Yah says, look, when I brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, I never told you to slaughter animals and sacrifice. Instead, I said to you, obey my voice, and I will be your Elohim, and you will be my children. And in 1 Samuel, Samuel's talking to Saul. He says, look, it is better to obey Yah than to sacrifice. It's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. This is the condition of the faith. In the faith, we may not want to, we may not like to hear these words when we come out of Christian liberty teaching our whole life, but we are called into obedience. And we're called into obedience the words that Yah spoke face to face in a great voice to the house of Yasharel. When Yah says, obey my voice, when did anyone hear him speak? Well, at one time, Mount Horeb. And he stood up and he gave what we call the Ten Commandments. When he gave the Ten Commandments, these are not grievous laws. Does it grieve you that you can't kill someone else? Does it grieve you that you can't steal from someone else? Does it grieve you that you can't defame the character of someone else? Does it grieve you that you can't drool all over somebody else's stuff because you want it so bad? Does it grieve you that you can't uh, commit adultery with your neighbor's wife? Does it grieve you that you have to take one day in seven as a day of rest? Does that really grieve you? Does it grieve you that you don't get to put up a statue and worship it? I mean, these are questions. I mean, these, these, these laws are not grievous. And yet, when you look at these commands, these commands are much more strident than what you might know. For instance, 
Anki Yahweh Eloheka. I am Yah your Elohim. You shall have no other Elohim before me. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you have one king, you have one judge, and you have one lawgiver. And it's Yah. It's not someone else. It's not the guy you're going to vote for in November. You, and if the guy you're voting for in November does not have Yah as your king, as his king, you have no business voting for him. When you, when you see a judge sitting on the bench, if that judge is not reverent to Yahweh, he is no judge at all. He is instead somebody who is creating nonsense in your life and who is bringing your social order into suicide. Now, I mean, the question I'm going to ask you guys right now, given our circumstances, is our social order committing suicide? I think the answer yes. is yes. I mean, would you, it's like our leaders are begging for nuclear war. Irrequivocably. Yeah. I mean, it's like, when are you going to nuke us? Please, please, please. You know, and when you see what's going on in Europe, I mean, these are suicidal leaders. They could care less what's going on with the people. It's like, well, sorry, you guys, you don't get any heat this year. and You don't get any food and you don't get any electricity. Why don't we? Well, because there is this, you know, homosexual uh, leader who likes to practice Nazism in some, you know, backwater uh, Eastern European country that has been engaged in genocide against another group of people who aren't going to take it anymore. And we want to, we want to further his regime. David. Yes. David. Yes, John. Yes. Uh, there's something that seems to be coming out about this subject on a global scale, at least the Western Hemisphere. And when we think about it, it sort of brings all of this craziness together. And it's the World um, Economic Forum seems to have an agenda to, it's crazy, but to destroy the West, to destroy the Western old order in order that they can rebuild or create this new world order. And um, it seems that the leadership we're looking at, both in, in the EU and of course driven by the United States administration, uh, is to actually go to war with Russia and get Russia to destroy the old system in order that there can be a new system come forward and you can blame it all on the Russians. It's, it's really insidious. It's, it's, it's an insanity of some kind. But when, when we step back and look at what's going on, what, what's, what's, there's got to be a driver somewhere. And it's come out on some of the uh, um, channels that are not mainstream, people that watch this, that the source of this insanity is this World Economic Forum. I, I don't yeah, know that is, I mean, they may not be the ultimate source. There may be a leader behind. Absolutely. Somebody behind that that we can't see. But 
there is a common source because it seems like the United States and the EU, NATO are, are all ready to provoke uh, Russia to come come to the field. And they're, they're gonna get there sooner or later, even if they have to start it. And in, in 1939, Hitler, World War II in Europe began in September of 39. And he could not provoke the Poles. So what he did, you can Google this stuff. What he did is, is dressed up some German troops in Polish uniforms. They crossed the Polish-German border and then came back across into Germany and attacked the German radio stations. And that gave Hitler the provocation that he needed to declare war on the Poles and invade, invade Poland with that pretext. Of course, the Soviets were coming from the other way. So all of this had been prearranged and it's like, here we go. It's, it's the same uh, method, the same approach to provoke the Russians to start something to engage and they of course used Ukraine and the, the theme of the Nazis is the most outrageous thing for Russian people to get confronted with. And uh, so yeah. it's, and it's, they're, it's, they're, there's they're nothing new under the sun, I guess, so. Yeah, nothing new, yeah, I agree with that. But you know, you're, you're right on this, John, and it is an insanity. It's, you know, again, there's no common sense. And why is there no common sense? Because the world has come out from under the common subjection to the faith. And instead, they say, oh, my way. And this is what you see, really. You see this in the, in the Western community. You see, you know, I describe the faith right now as like a, a, a broken windshield. Because, you know, when you drop a windshield on the ground, it doesn't break. Like if you dropped a window out of your house on the ground, you know, you'd get probably seven long cracks. And then you'd get a section where it really hit that broke up into little pieces. When you drop a windshield on the ground, the whole thing shatters, but the pieces don't come off. They're all kind of, they're glued to that little piece of plastic, you know, that holds the, the thing together. And this is what the faith is like. It's just a broken windshield of everybody going his own way. Because when we talk to people about the tenets of the faith, well, have you thought about this? Well, I don't keep the Saturday Sabbath. I keep my Sabbath on Sunday, right? And what you hear in that is my idea is, and I follow my idea, right? Rather than follow the scripture, I follow my idea. And so we have this huge disparity. And, and now we see in the community, everybody's arguing with everybody. They're fighting over these issues, pounding their fist over this. Well, you need to believe my way. You need to believe this. You need to believe that. You need to believe the other thing. And yeah, hey, Eileen, Eileen, did you no, want to add something? Add somebody. Add no, something no, 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 some yeah, people so, are waiting Doc, to get in. Yeah, we've, we've got. Doc, I just wanted to say that um, I've just seen that Israel has also entered the war. So they've, they're, well, they've not entered the war, but they are shipping um, weapons to Ukraine. Yeah, and of course, you know, Turkey has left NATO and has joined with Russia now, and they're they're going to replace the Nord Stream pipeline with this Turkish pipeline, and they're going to make Turkey the primary gas hub. The Greeks are really freaked out because the Turks are trying to pick a war with Greece. America is arming up Greece now, and the Turks are already talking about going into the Balkans, right? What used to be Yugoslavia, 
And there's always there's always been a, a play between Christian and Muslim in Yugoslavia. I mean, this has been going on since the Ottoman Empire. Uh, so uh, with that being said, the uh, you know, all of this stuff is not really to freak anybody out in the Sabbath thing. But the point I'm making is that we see an insanity that is pervasive in the thinking of the West. Well, what we'll do is we'll just kill, we'll just kill ourselves and we'll start anew. Well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, that kind of thinking, why couldn't you guys just kind of like reform yourself? Why couldn't you walk away from your bad practices and, and do the right thing? Why couldn't you repent and be baptized, right? Which is the formula scripture calls us to repent and be baptized. Now, when we talk about the common subjection to the faith, there are some things that I think we can agree upon. Now, one of the points I made on Thursday night was that in Psalm 68, 4, we see that there is an agreement that the name is Yah, right? We see an agreement by virtually all of the publishers who were willing to have integrity that the name is Yah. So KJV says his name is Yah. The NKJV says his name is Yah. The Darby Bible says his name is Yah. I put up a list of, of 12 uh, well-known Bibles that say in Psalm 68, 4, his name is Yah, right? His name is Yah. Now, I want to share something with you guys here. Rob and I talked about this a little bit last week. Let me see if I can find this here. Well, uh, let's see. What do I have here? Maybe I don't have a, you know, it's hard to say what window I have going on here. Well, I thought I had the window up, but I guess I don't. Uh, of the of the DNA, right? Of the DNA. Because we know that the DNA that uh, that the yod he vav is expressed in the DNA, right? And so we see this name. But when I when I share this with people, I said, "Well, look, the name Yah is uh, is is found in script." Well, I've had some people who are you know generally new to Torah. We don't use a contraction for the name Yahweh. You know, you people are just you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. And they get crazy about this, but in fact, Yah does appear. Now let's take a look. Here. We'll look at Psalm sixty-eight four here. Psalm 68, 4, and, and we'll see, and I can show you here that, in fact, it's well recognized. Of course, Strong's is going to lie to us about everything, right? And so we're going to see now here in this case, the way uh, Strong's, the way this is numbered, this opening passage here talking about the, the Mismore of David, right? This is included as the first verse. So these Psalms are numbered a little bit different. So this is 68, 5, but here you're going to see 30, 50 right here, right? Now, the passage reads in here, you can see here that, right? So what you see here, ba ya shemo, right? Shemo, his name, shemo, his name is ya. Now, when you look at 3050, here they tell us, oh, well, this name is ya. Oh, no, not according to Strong's, it's ja. Well, I want to ask you something, Strongs. Where'd you get the J? I mean, it's just a question. Where'd you get the J? Since, since when has the Yod in Hebrew ever been pronounced J ever? Never. But that doesn't stop Strongs from saying, oh, yeah, it's Ja. 
Oh, well, don't, don't the uh, Masons worship a Jebulion or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they may, it must come out of the Masons. I don't know where they got it, but they but they somehow drug out the J. And so here they admit, right, names ending in Yah. Yah. See it right there? Yah. Right? Okay. So you can see that the Yod, Hey, Yah. Right? Yeah. Oh, no, there's two H's on here. Why? Because some Masrite went in there and put a Dagash in the H and added a consonant. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Who was the Masrite that had the temerity to add a consonant to the name of Yah? Which one was that again? Oh, I'll just add a, a, a consonant to it. No, you won't. No, you won't. Okay. Now, when you see this name, Yah, this is telling us every all these Bible commentators agree that this passage says his name is Yah. His name is Yah. Okay. So can we agree on that? Can we as a people agree on that? Now, you might want to say, well, I want to say Yahweh. Well, you want to say Yahweh. I don't think it's justified. But you can at least agree that his name is Yah. Now, look at this. Let's go over here to Isaiah, and we'll just go to Isaiah 1, right? We don't have to go far here in Isaiah 1, because in Isaiah 1, we're going to get the name of Isaiah, right? So let's look at Isaiah's name for a minute. Here's Isaiah's name, right? Now, with Isaiah's name, you can look closely and you can see that like every other name that ends with this, right? We have a name that ends with Yod, K, Vav, okay? You see it over there? This section right here, Yod, He, Vav, Yishai, Yahu. Now there's some 167 names in scripture that end with Yahoo, Obed Yahoo, Zechar Yahoo, Zephan Yahoo, uh, Yekiski Yahoo, Yoshi Yahoo, Yekon Yahoo. The name, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But when you see that name, you see the Masorites came in and said, well, let's put some vowel signs in here. Let's put Chametz right there. And then let's put a Shurig right here. Well, the shurig means this is going to be pronounced ooh. This means this is going to be pronounced ya. Ya who? So if that's the case, then I'm going to ask you guys the question. If that's the case, then where do these guys get off with this idea? Oh, well, we'll make this a Shva, and we'll make this a Bob, and all of a sudden, and we'll put a hole in here, and this becomes <laughs> Yehoah. Where'd they get that idea? Especially when you... It wasn't from the most high. 
It wasn't from the most high, especially when you recognize that once they put the Shiva here, this becomes a prefix. Okay. Then, so when you look at the name, so because of this thinking, look at this, watch this. Because of this thinking, oh, well, that's a prefix. Now, you have very clear that you saw before Yah, that name was standalone, right? 3050 standalone. Now, look at this. See, when you look at, when you look at 3050, Yah, right? yod hey. Now, they say, oh, well, that's a contraction. Well, no, it's not. So what do they say is the contraction? They say it's contraction for, look at this. I'm going to show you this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Come on, give me the 3050. Let's do it. I won't. Okay. All right. Here we go. We'll just do it this way. Oh, this is Yehovah. <laughs> oh, is that right? And what did they tell you? Well, this because of the way we constructed this, we constructed this as a prefix, yeah, then this comes from the word, this comes from, hold on, I'm trying to get people in here just a second. Okay. This comes from what? Oh, H1191. Which is what? Hi-yah. Oh, okay. So the yod hey, the name of the creator, that's not the primary root. This verb is. Who told him that? Now, you know, the funny thing is, is that Benjamin Netanyahu didn't name himself Benjamin Netanyahu, did he? <laughs> because he knew. Because he knew. This whole construct here is designed to mislead, and it is heretical, and it was created by people who worship a different Elohim. May I say this? Yeah, sure, David. Benjamin calls himself Benjamin Netanyahu. He doesn't put the who in it. He uses the uh, pronunciation of the oo. Yeah, uh, Yahoo. Yeah, Yahoo. Benjamin Yahoo. Netanyahu, not Yahoo. Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah, and that I is correct. That's, that's very significant. Yeah, I, that's correct, David. I mean, that's the correct pronunciation. It's Yahuwah. It's not Yahuwah. It's Yahuwah. Yahuwah. It's a very flowing, flowing, uh, flowing phrase. But this is his name. And I mean, look. Again, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to kill people. But what I am trying to tell you is, is that we need to agree that at least Yah is applicable. We need to agree at least on that much that Yah is applicable. And if we can agree on that much, we've gotten at least some point of common subjection to the faith. Because guess what? What's it say in the Aharonic blessing? At the end of the Aharonic blessing. Right? Then what? Then what does he say? And I will put my name upon my children.
I will put my name on if my people who are called by my name. Okay, well, who are those people? The Lordites? Is there a group of people out there called the Lordites? When you read 60 different forms of the Bible, they tell you, and his name is the Lord. That's what they tell you. His name is the Lord. So are there people out there called the Lordites? The Lordim, or maybe they just call themselves the Lords. I, you know, I'm asking. But, no, no, no. His children are called Yasharel. So, I mean, this is why I'm saying to you guys, when we look at these tenets, we have to look at these tenets for what they are. We have to recognize what they are. And we have to come under common subjection to the faith. And we have to do it without beating each other up, without getting into an argument, without spending all of our life midrashing. Let's have a midrash. Midrashes give me a rash. <laughs> you know, I mean, we should we should be in a situation where we can love one another and agree with one another. Now, when we talk about the love of Yah, I think all of us would agree that the primary commandment is to love Yah with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Right? Shema Yasharel, Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Achad, Uahafta et Yahweh, and you shall love Yahweh. But what is love? Well, that's really caring about somebody. And we were talking about this last night, you know, Ricky was saying, yeah, yeah. He used to go to this church where everybody loved each other. And it was a Methodist church that was just exploding and growing and getting ever bigger. They had to tear down all the houses, put up a new parking lot because it was getting so big. And he says, they would all come out of the church. Oh, we just love each other. Then they get in their cars. Get out of my way. Wait, wait. Don't you know how to drive? You know, this kind of thing, right? It's like when I pulled up behind a car at the light, you know, the guy has this bumper sticker. Honk if you love Jesus. So we give a honk. He gives me the finger. You know, I mean, you know. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, the hypocrisy is overwhelming because love is not about an emotion, right? What does Mashiach say? There is no greater love than he that gives up his life for, for his friend, right? Gives up his life for another. Well, when you talk about loving Yah, it's the circumcision of the heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of Yahweh. You mean hugs and kisses don't complete it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, love is doing, right? If you love him, you obey him. And so it's not a question in the people in the faith that's like, what can I get away with and still get into heaven? You know, I mean, if, if I only engage in petty theft, can I still get into heaven? Right? It's not a question of what can I get away with and can I still get into heaven? It's a question of what have you asked me to do and can I do it? You know, this is the biggest part of this common subjection to the faith is the willingness to obey what Yah has said do. He said, this is what I want of you. Obey my voice. And I will be your Elohim and you will be my people. Obey my voice, and I will be your Elohim, and you will be my people. And Mashiach says, look, come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, 
and I will bring rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Deuteronomy 5.22 says he wrote out the 10 Devarim and added nothing further. And I can tell you that if you're completely and fully understanding the Torah of the 10 Devarim, you will understand that this calls you to a lifetime path. It's a lifetime path. When it says you shall have no other Elohim before me, that means there's no other lawgiver. Well, we made up a law. Oh, really? What law did you make? We decided that you can't do this anymore. Predicated on what? Predicated on my idea. Well, who are you? And who are you to second guess the law of Yahweh? I am your king. King, eh? I didn't vote for you. But, you know, this is what you see, right? You see this among mankind. And the true responsibility of leaders is to be servants and to be in complete fealty to Yahweh. And if they're not, they have no business being your leader, period. And you have no business listening to them or following them. So what does it mean to come out of Babylon? You, you shall have no other Elohim before me. It's a big deal. And trying to pan that out in your life is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of sorting. You have to let go of your other kings, of your other judges, of your other lawgivers. And you have to look at them with a critical eye and say, is your fealty to Yahweh yes or no? And, you know, when you say this to the average person, they're going to say, what name did you say again? <laughs> I haven't got the slightest idea what you're talking about, right? They won't have the slightest idea what, you, what we're talking about. But it's up to us to know. It's up to us to behave in this mindset because we have to be out of Babylon. And for us to walk the faith journey that we're called to walk, we need to be in common subjection to the faith. We have to agree what that is. Now, one of the tenets, of course, that's given by the handwriting of Yah is to guard my Shabbat, right? It's right there. Number four, guard my Shabbat. And this is, a, this is the fundamental character of Yahweh. And when you say Shabbat, this is the plural form of the word Shabbat, which means seventh. So Rishon, the first day, Sheni, the second day, Shelashi, the third day, Revi, the fourth day, Hamashi. When you get to the seventh day, Shabbat, when you're talking about them as general, you're talking about Shabbat, the seventh day. And how many times does it say in scripture that he worked for six days and rested on the seventh day? The language is not Gee, and he rested on some arbitrary day that's up to you to pick. He says continuously over and over and over again, the seventh day, the seventh day, which is called Shabbat, seventh day. What's its official name? Seventh day. Its official name is seventh day, and you are to rest on the seventh day. Well, I rest on... Uh, a different day. 
on my, my day of rest is Sunday. Why is the day of rest Sunday? Because in my, in my idea, that's when it should be the day of rest on Sunday. Okay, what color is the leather collar of Rome around your neck? Can you tell us that, right? Because you're wearing Roman leather. Eh, eh, right? So this seventh day, the Shabbat is, an, again, part of the seal of Yah, but there's another part of the seal of Yah, too, that is really very, very important, which is the sealing of the Ruach HaKodesh. We are sealed in the Ruach HaKodesh. This is from Ephesians. I think it's 435. We are sealed in the Ruach HaKodesh. And so these things become part of who we are, that we are set apart. We know the name of Yah. We keep his commands. We come under his commands. We are defined by his commands. We are baptized into his name and baptized in the Ruach HaKodesh. These are kind of the fundamentals of the common subjection of the faith. Well, for baptized in the Ruach HaKodesh, that means we all speak in tongues. No. That's not the baptism of the Ruach HaKodesh. Here's the baptism of the Ruach HaKodesh. The disciples, none of whom showed up at the cross at the time of the crucifixion. Oh, where were you guys? Ah. Right? So when Mashiach comes back, he says, you guys need to hang out in the upper room, right? Don't come out of the upper room. They're all, do you see any Romans out there still? We're not coming out, right? He says, you guys need to hang out in the upper room until the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon you. So they did. They all hung out in the upper room. We don't know what we're going to do. We're, we're lost. Our Messiah is dead. We're, we're done. We're, we thought that he was going to be Judas Maccabeus. and This didn't work out. It's over. Then the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon them like a tongue of fire, not as a tongue of fire, but like a tongue of fire. The Ruach HaKodesh comes upon them. And what happens? They're bold. They're free. The fear is gone. And they walk out doing what? Proclaiming the name. Aren't there two upper rooms? Well, it depends on which on which building you go in. Well, the upper room where they were waiting after he was uh, uh, waiting for his uh, second appearing when he came to him and said, uh, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. And then there was another upper room at, uh, at the Feast of Weeks when he said, uh, you go into Jerusalem and wait until this power comes on you. Well, they were out there wandering around not doing what he was supposed to do. And then, he, then the then the uh, Malachim says, hey, what are you doing? Uh, you need to get on over there. And so that upper room was a different upper room, but it's thought the upper room is a significant thing because it's set apart. Yeah, yeah, it's set apart, yeah. And you know, the thing is, I can tell you the upper room that they call the upper room in Jerusalem is not the upper room, okay? When you get up in that upper room, I've been up in that upper room, and you walk outside and you look, you realize, oh, gee, this used to be a mosque. Which means it's seventh century or later, used to be a mosque. It's not the upper room, okay? It's not. 
So anyway, that's another story. But uh, but anyway, there's yes, people waiting. Yes, Sorry, Kathy. people are waiting. People are waiting to get in. Thank you, Captain. Okay, so Randon, did you you wanted to contribute to this conversation there, sister? Uh, go to John. I'll I'll go after. Okay, all right. She missed last week. <laughs> yeah, John. Well, I'm gonna let John and Chris come out here. Just uh, David, did you want to add a little bit else to this, brother? David, <clears throat> you asked me what? Yeah, was there something else you wanted to add? It? There was something that I have to say about uh, about the uh, about the time when uh, the difference between the great crowd and the, the remnant, uh, and it was that after the sealing is done, the remnant is protected, but the great crowd isn't. They have to come to the bond of the covenant according to Revelations chapter 7, during the Great Tribulation. And what happens at the Great Tribulation is the bottomless pit, the keys are transferred to someone that opens it. And what comes out of it is horrifying. And the people are in such uh, agony over that, what comes out of the pit, that and they don't have any protection and they can't be killed they can't die, but they have to, they, the, to come to the brightness of the rising is the only sanctuary they see. So that there's going to be a, a, a great crowd that comes to that sanctuary in all over the world. And that's what I just am seeing. It's a big deal because it's so supernatural that it just jumps into a, a, an amazing uh, event. When that bottomless pit is opened, it's all hell breaking loose. And then the people don't have any, the kind of protection they have before it's opened. But the seal do, and they don't have, it's like the hundred, the 91st column. It says, you know, a, a thousand will fall at one side and 10,000 at the other, but it won't come near you. Well, there's another verse in another part of the Torah that talks about, a thousand fall at Manasseh and ten thousand at Ephraim. Well, you're going, huh? Again, see, it, it gets into the it gets into all of Yashrael being the great crowd. And <clears throat> that salvation happens with wrath poured out. Anyway, I didn't want to get get no yeah, that's a really good point because I can tell you we talked about this a little bit last night, and that is that uh you know Ricky was saying that there he knows some people that have been in what's called the dumbs, the deep underground military bases, they're called dumbs. And he said, they've had for over 30 years now, they've been developing chimeras that are so outrageous. I mean, they're, they're beasts that are, you know, that are uh, hyper cloned between human beings and um, animals. <clears throat> And, you know, crossbreeding, cross-genome stuff and all this other stuff. He said, when those, be those beasts are going to be released, when those beasts come on the earth, people are going to be just absolutely shocked because they're going to be coming out of the abyss. And what comes out of the abyss is going to be too much. It's going to be so terrifying that a lot of people are just going to sit down and die as soon as they see them. 
It's going to be, you got to be kidding me. That thing exists on the earth. Yeah, it exists on the earth. And here it is in Roman, you know, and you saw foretelling of that with all the Jurassic Park series, you know, we're cloning stuff. And we're going to, we're going to reintroduce the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And we're going to this beefed up clone of the Tyrannosaurus Rex on and on and on and on that they were beefing up. Well, my understanding is that they've been doing this for a long time and they have them in fact imprisoned in these deep underground military bases, these dumbs, and they're going to open that. It's going to come out from the pit. Now also, Recently, there's been a story that broke out of the Euphrates. You know, the Euphrates has been drying up, right? And I mean, you're talking, I mean, it's like way, way down, way, 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 way down. And now that it's down, they're finding ruins, you know, like they did at the bottom of Lake Mead, right? Where they found all the, everybody that got dumped there, you know, by the mafia out of Las Vegas, right? You got the same thing going on in the Euphrates, only these things are thousands of years old. Well, just recently, in an area of the Euphrates that has dried up, they found a staircase that's completely intact. And this staircase goes down to a door that no one has the courage to open because they think this is where the four angels are bound under the Euphrates, right? Where the four angels are bound under the Euphrates. So, I mean, we've hit these, we've hit this time, David, we have hit this time and uh, in this time, what we're finding is uh, the fearsome things that are coming upon the earth. Men's hearts are going to fail because of the things they see coming upon the earth. Dr. Pigeon? Yes. If you look at Second Baruch 27, I was just going through this last night, and it speaks of that in Second Baruch 27, 9. And I think that we are at the seventh spot. And it speaks of that being released, the spirits. And I didn't know if anybody was interested in looking that up, but um, it seems like we're right well, there. Well, I'll look that. at it right now here. Let's just look at it. We'll, we'll go through it. So second Ruth 27. Now this is um, this is the 12 parts of judgment that come on in the in the apocalypse or come upon us in the end times, which second Baruch really does it well because he talks about uh, one of the things he says about this in the 12th part, confusion from the mingling together of all these things aforesaid, right? But in nine, he says, and in the eighth part, a multitude of specters and attacks of the Shadim. And so these specters and attacks of the Shadim, this is also uh, something that is coming upon us. And I can tell you, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, well, here, if you take a look at me and you can see these are kind of like the seals you see in Revelation, right? In the first part, there should be the beginning of commotions. In the second part, there should be the slaying of the great ones. In the third part, the fall of many by death. In the fourth part, the sending of the sword. In the fifth part, famine and the withholding of rain. In the sixth part, earthquake and terrors. Now, very interesting stuff that what we're seeing here, right, is you're seeing all of these things now that are coming upon the earth. Right. Then he says in the eighth part, well, that's or the seventh part. He leaves that out. He doesn't tell us what's in the seventh part because the seventh part belongs to Yah. In the eighth part, a multitude of specters and attacks of the Shadim. In the ninth part, the fall of fire. In the tenth part, rapine and much oppression. In the eleventh part, wickedness and unchastity. And in the twelfth part, confusion from the mingling together of all of those. For 
These parts of that time are reserved and shall be mingled one with another and minister one to another. For some shall leave out some of their own and receive in instead from others, and some complete their own and that of others, so that those may not understand who are upon the earth in those days, that this is the consummation of times. Yeah. And you can see, I mean, it can, you know, we talk about this nonsense that's pervasive in the world, right? We talk about the nonsense pervasive in the world. Look at this for what it is. We have people who don't seem to understand that they're picking a nuclear war. I mean, I can tell you, the British defense minister came out yesterday and said, uh, you know, we're pretty much unprepared for a nuclear war. Everybody should stock up a few supplies to try to get some iodine if you can. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. We've got a couple of destroyers. We have no anti-ballistic missile systems in Britain. But we've got a couple of destroyers that we're going to put up the Thames that we think can shoot down any missile. That is such total, complete nonsense. It's beyond belief. First of all, they can't shoot down a Kinzhal. A Kinzhal is coming at them at 12,000 miles an hour. They, they have nothing that they can use to shoot that down. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. So they're completely defenseless. And yet their prime minister has got her fist in the face of Vladimir Putin going, we're going to defeat you one way or the other. And she's completely unprepared. What does she think is going to happen? And so now they're, they're handing out leaflets in New York City. In the case of a nuclear blast, make sure you take a shower and change your clothes. That's going to help. That's going to help. You know, they're talking about, oh, you guys need to brush off your fallout shelter. You know, they just bought $290 million worth of iodine. Poland just, just bought 62 million doses of iodine. And they're, and they're you know, they're uh, unearthing all of their fallout shelters. Same thing in Finland. These people are all preparing for a nuclear exchange. Hello. And nobody, not one person is saying, can we back away from this? Not one. Elon Musk said, can we back away from this? And you know what the Ukrainians told him? Off. So you know what he did? He went off. And he shut down this whole Starlink system for Ukraine. You told me to get lost, so I'm lost. See ya. So, I mean, here we are, right? You have all of the world leaders like, well, let's do this nuclear thing. That, my friend, is patent insanity. It's nonsense. But it is exactly what you as a believer can expect because they are not in common subjection to the faith. And as a result, they do not have common sense they have nonsense they're in common suggestion uh, subjection to lawlessness yeah that, that commonness is common amongst them and it's gotten completely off the chart and that shows us what time it is it shows us that we're in that time yeah. that there's no reasoning left and that in that mankind that is so captive to that that the world the flesh and the devil that's uh, running the minds of men around here in this North Tacoma area, people are oblivious, oblivious, like they are all over the world, but they realize something's going on. That's not normal. 
That just that just strikes me as completely strange, David. I mean, it, it just, is strange. Totally I mean, how do you miss strange. it, right? I mean, you know, when you go downtown Seattle and you see tents for days, how do you miss that something is unusual? It's totally strange, and that's what makes it makes you realize where we're at in the time frame. This coming, we've jumped like we jumped like what was it 2017 when we had the signs on the Moedims. Right. We've jumped into we've jumped into the seventh millennium, and now we're fixing to jump into the into the into the great distress, and all the signs show it. All the signs yeah. show it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, let let me go to Brian before um, because Chris, Chris and John, I want you guys to kind of talk together if you would. But I want to hear from but I want to hear Brian first. Yeah, because <laughs> you know you're going to do that anyway, right? <laughs> so let's so let me hear from Brian real quick, and then we'll come back to you guys. Hey, Brian, what's going on? Shalom. Shalom. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, on that scripture you brought up um, in Exodus 34, 22. And um, I wasn't sure we're going with that. <laughs> I'm still really not sure. But I believe there's two uh, in-gatherings. And that's talking about the first in-gathering. Okay, because it talks about the first of weeks, the feast of weeks. And I know there's a big controversy on the Feast of Weeks when it is. Some people believe it's during unleavened bread. Some people believe it's the Sabbath after unleavened bread. I know it's a big controversy on that. About uh, when you begin the count? Yeah. Okay. I, I think New Testament clearly states that the counting begins during unleavened bread, but that's just my personal research. But anyway, uh, backed up by the, by the New Testament scriptures. Anyway, so... Um, um, but that was the reason I brought that up because you were talking about the difference or difference between equilux and equinox. Equilux is when the, the, the day and the night are equal in, in length, 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night kind of concept. The equinox is when the sun crosses the equator of the earth. And it's a uh, okay, yeah, fair enough, brother. Now, give us the distinction in these two words again. Equilux, did you say? Equilux, L-U-X. You can research it on timeanddate.com. Um, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of good information up there. They keep track of the uh, the um, eclipses and that kind of stuff as well. And then the equinox is when it crosses the the moment. It's a split second. I mean, it's not a, you know, a, blink, a twinkle of an eye. Second, that crosses. That is the equinox. Okay, yeah, very good. Equilux is equal night, equal day. Equinox is when the sun crosses the equator. Right. Now, yeah, the equinox always occurs before the equinox. I've researched this out. And it, this is the scientific terms. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, because, you know, there's a lot of mistruths in science. But this is the, the thinking of the modern science, is the reason why the difference between the equinox occurs before the equinox is because the earth is, the earth is tilted at a 23 degree, 22 and a half degree angle. Right. To the tilt. So that's why it occurs first. So I don't believe that was the case during before the flood. I don't think the earth was tilted then um, because I think we had more even keel days um, during that time. You didn't have a big change between summer and winter and that kind of stuff. Before the flood, I think the, that happened during the flood, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm just speculating there at that point. But no, but that's good speculation, O'Brien. I mean, and I do appreciate that because I think we do see that there was something markedly different in the antediluvian world. I mean, we get this description that there were no oceans, that it was basically a mist or a dew that, that hung over the earth. 
right. so on and so forth. And we may even have had, there may even have been fewer days in the year. It may have been a 360 day year and right. the moon may have been perfectly aligned with the sun in delivering us 12, right. 30 day months. I mean, that's very possible that that was the case, right? Right. right. So definitely. So, and so you look at it, two in gatherings. I think Sukkot's the first in gathering, and because it goes to man, you know, right after the verse, right after that, it talks about we got to be up there three times a year uh, um, in the house where he placed his name. And Sukkot, or I'm sorry, Shavuot is one of those days, and that's the first one. The second in gathering is, of course, this time of the year when when the other harvest comes in. So there's two harvests. Yeah. And it talks about you know, know that uh, summer uh, when you see the least tender. You know that summer's nigh, so I think there's a big key there. So I think during the Feast of Weeks, there's a very eye-opener. And, of course, he says the days of Noah, so the second month is obviously a very watch month for me as well. And then I just want to end up with the uh, the newspaper. <laughs> I call it the newspaper. It's like reading today's newspaper. Ezra 6. Ezra chapter 6. Fourth Ezra. Uh, fourth Ezra chapter yeah, six. Fourth Ezra six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know that the newspaper. Yeah. The current, the current news. The current newspaper. I'm telling you, it's like reading today's newspaper. Is it not happening? Like right now. You know the thing I want. The thing I want to zone in on is uh, uh, verse 23. And the shofar shall give a sound which every man hears. They shall be suddenly afraid. That is on our horizon. But look what happened aboard before it. The, uh, the, uh, the storehouses, storehouses are suddenly empty. One of these days, you're going to go to the supermarket and you're going to find nothing on the shelf. Right. Yeah, boom. And suddenly shall the sown places appear unsown, and the full storehouses shall suddenly be found empty. Wow. <laughs> Let's speak like today. This, this is what we're about ready to walk in this year. I'm just telling you, this is what we're about ready to walk in because I think 2023 is a Shemitah year. Um, if I'm, I might be off a year. It might be 24 because, again, like I keep saying, I don't know because um, there's no year zero between 1 BC and 1 AD, so I don't know how that works out. But 2023, to me, really looks like a Shemitah year. Yeah, and if that's the case, okay, then all of a sudden, boom. That there were the places that used to be sown, that is to say, all the guard, all the farms where they're sowing crops are suddenly unsown. Yeah, the earth gets its release, right? Man, it's going to make a mandatory relief. The earth's going to rest. <laughs> That's what it speaks to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. And then here you see what the shofar shall give a sound, and when every man hears it, they shall be suddenly afraid. At that time, shall friends fight one against another like enemies? I'm telling you, we're so close to this civil war in the United States, man. Exactly. The world war. Uh, I mean, my I understanding mean, is that tr Trump is supposed to announce today he's going to he's going to run for the president, and he released this creepy video saying, "I am the lion, right? I am the lion, and I'm about to eat up the jackals, and you know because these people are about to find out who I really am." Well, I can tell you, you know, with the with the, the whole of the United States government being weaponized, mm -hmm. that, you know, the, this pushback is going to get, I think it's going to get bloody and it's going to get bloody quick. And here it is. At that That's time shall true. friends fight one against another like enemies. The earth shall stand in fear mm -hmm. with those that dwell therein. The springs of the fountain shall stand still. And in three hours, they shall not run. All of a sudden, boom. Right. Mm -hmm. all, yeah. all the fresh water is done. Right. Right. 
So, so Doc, can I add? Can I add something there, Brian? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, if you read uh, what David was talking about, Revelation nine, sure, yeah. and oh. the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So, you know what? I think this could be related because, you know, from there, this um, fear will befall all men except those that are marked with the Tav mm -hmm. or the sign of Yah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of very close. It's, 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 it could be talking of the same event. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Just the oh, so real quickly, I forgot. My wife reminded me she wasn't here. <laughs> My memory is not that great anymore. But Yasher 82.6, a lot of people, this, I have a question here. This, to me, is very confusing scripture because a lot of people say that the commandments came down on Shavuot. Now, I don't care how you do the math on this. I cannot get it to work on Shavuot. Um, 80, 80, 82.6, it says, In the third month, when the children of Yasharel departed Mishmarim, we know they left in the first month, right after Passover. And then on the sixth day thereof, Yahuwah gave Yasharel the ten Devarim on the Mount Sinai. So there's two ways to look at that. You can go three months from the first month, which brings you to the fourth month and add six days. That's one way of looking at that. The other way of looking at that is it's the third, sixth day of the third month, biblical month, which is not Shavuot. You can't get there. So I don't know. It's just a thought. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, when we, when we published Yashar, there were some things that uh, there. There's some things that we see. I mean, you know, one is this: is that Yashar appears to have been built from the Samaritan Pentateuch. That that appears to be the Torah that was being used. Who's going off? Oh, six, six twenty. Okay, so. Uh, you know, it appears to have built, been built from the Samaritan Pentateuch, but I'm also equally convinced. I had a very good meeting with a guy named Malcolm in the UK, and he's a big student of the 70 books that were sequestered and put behind during the time of Ezra. This is talked about in Ezra, I think, 15. And so when Ezra did this, you have what we see as the text, right? What we see as the text of the Old Testament, but there were 70 additional books that were put away. And they were to be read only in the temple. Well, those books were scurried out of Jerusalem and moved into Alexandria before the Romans burned Jerusalem. The Romans found out about it, and they went to Alexandria, and they burned Alexandria three times trying to make sure they burned those books. Three times. But, I mean, this is where we get Joseph and Asenoth. This is where we get the testimony of the 12 patriarchs. This is where we get Jasher. This is where we get some of these other books. These were the 70 that were that that had remained that Ezra was responsible for. And so what we see here is that, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you here, Brian, that I wish I could tell you that I had the the uh that I could look back at the Hebrew and say this Hebrew text was mm -hmm. most certainly dealing with the third month and so on and so forth. I mean, I can't give you that information right here. Mm -hmm. All I can tell you is, is that 
Uh, you know, there's there's things where you see a, a slightly different record in Jasher than what you see in Jubilees, and a slightly different record than what you see in uh, actually in uh, uh, what you might see in Genesis or Exodus and so forth. It's a slightly different record, right? And it it has to do with the fact that, like, when you talk about the Samaritan Pentateuch versus the Masoretic Pentateuch, there's at least three thousand differences, three thousand mm. differences, and even in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's mm -hmm. three different versions of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Three copies, and all three of them are different from one another. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so it, this is just one of those things, you know. And, you know, when you talk about working out the third month, I mean, you talk about the third month, you know, you're talking, you don't see, you can't, you can't work out a 50-day schedule from that. Correct. Don't work. So, right. yeah, so that, that's one thing that frustrates me about the extra books is I don't, I know Strong's is not an authority on anything, but you know how the KJV, Esort has the KJV with the Strong's numbers next to it. You can see the Hebrew word. Yeah. A little. Um, I wish that had the extra books were like that somehow, because you could really get into that and really dig into those and see what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I can tell you, we had, there was a fellow that we've actually commissioned <clears throat> to give us the entirety of the text in Hebrew. He already has Jasher done in Hebrew, uh, but he hasn't delivered the text to us. Okay. And, um, I think he's mad at me because, you know, I came out against the flat earth. So he's mad at me. Oh. So, so he hasn't delivered, he won't talk to me anymore and he won't deliver the text. So it's kind of upsetting. But I can tell you this we do have a Hebrew copy of, of Jasher, uh, but it's a, it's, a non, it's a written script, it's a PDF script. So it's going to be hard to read, hard to piece together. But we do have that available on the website. Okay. Now, in addition to that, you know, uh, Eileen has been working on our our new uh, um, our new lexicon, mm -hmm. and we have we have put together a ton of words and have created what we what we're calling sapphire number uh, words. There's a bunch of words that Strong's never never uh, isolated. Strong's never you know even in the in the Masoretic text they never isolated. We have found those words and we've isolated them as and we've given them a sapphire number, a sapphire number. And so we're going to, you know, when we get to publishing that, it's going to require some money that we don't have right now. But when we get the money, we are going to publish the text. But because it's all, it's what, it's 2,000 pages, Eileen? Where are we? No, that's not the right button. Press the other button. Uh, I got it. <laughs> okay. Um, it's about 2,200 right now, but I'm looking to get it down. Yeah, well, see, we're at 2,200 pages, so that's an extremely expensive book for us to publish. Mm -hmm. And it, this is going to be a very important resource, though, and it's going to be a very good lexicon for you because you'll be able to go through book by book, chapter by chapter, name by name, uh, to make references as we go. So now another thing, I mean, I would say to you on this too, Brian, is that, I mean, it depends on how you calculate the first day of the month, right? Because I think you calculate the first day of the month different than I calculate the first day of the month. That's correct. And uh, so, uh, you know, because for me, I could see how this would, when you're talking 50 days, I agree with you entirely that the, uh, I believe that the Sabbath inside of matzah is the Sabbath that is the first Sabbath of the year. Correct. I, I can show you in biblical proof and stuff in, in the New Testament. I think that's backed up. Yeah. And so, and it's very funny because when you talk about the first Sabbath, it's not the first Sabbath of the year because technically there's a couple of Sabbaths that occur, maybe one or maybe two that occur before that. Correct. It's called the first Sabbath because that's the Sabbath you begin your count to Shavuot on. That's why it's called the first Sabbath. Correct. Any reference in the Gospels 
See, this is where this is where this business of calling it the first day of the week was an obfuscation that these guys did because they had a Roman collar around their neck. They changed the word the, the phrase me and Sabaton, the, the first day of the week, instead of the first Sabbath. And had they used the phrase the first Sabbath, then the believers would understand that there's a first Sabbath of the year. Well, that's unimportant to Roman practitioners because they're not interested in Shavuot anyway. But here you see that there, there is a first Sabbath, and there most assuredly is a second Sabbath, because in the Gospel of John, it talks about on the Deuteroproto Sabbath, that's the second after the first, Deuteroproto, the second after the first, they went into the fields and ate the grain. Well, you can eat the heads of grain, because guess what? You were still hovering around Bikur. So the grain would still be would still be ripe. It would still be the heads of grain would still be on the would still be on the unharvested crops, right? Correct. So, that would be so to me that picture there um, is a very good picture because I was thinking that was shovel. Uh, I was thinking the day they picked that grain was first fruits, but then I start. Then what you just said there confirmed what I was thinking again is no. That's the day. That's the week after first fruits. Because, like you just right. said, you can't pick that grain and eat it until first fruits has been offered. The way that's right. So that yeah. there, you just confirmed to me what I was kind of thinking in the back of my head. Because I, so that's very good. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 the Greek language there that's used, Brian, is deuteroproto, deuteroproto, <clears throat> the second after the first. Right. And so now, so when you see that, so if you look at this, so let's say this the, the Shabbat was early on in the Feast of Matzah. So it could be on the 16th of the month. So the 14th of the first month, Pesach, 15th matzah, 16th of the month, then kicks in as that was would be the first Sabbath. And so you would start your count from there. So that's going to leave some 14 days remaining, maybe 15 or 13, but something like that in that month. Let's call it 14 days in a 30-day calendar. Mm-hmm. At least 14 days remaining there. Then another 30, that's 44 days. Mm-hmm. And then another six puts you at 50 days. For sure, in the third month, right? So it would be, but that would require a very early, uh, a very early uh, Shabbat inside of matzah, right? So, right. and I, I think people make. I think there's an error here too, but something you might have all over sometime is, I believe the first fruit wave offering did not happen on the first day of the week. I believe it happened after. Well, it depends how you reckon your time. It happened after, immediately after the Sabbath. Has ended. Why it's still yet light? You got this transitional okay. period. You got yeah. this transitional period. The, the the dusk of the transitional period between the sun going yeah. up and the light. Yeah. So and a lot of people are running. You can't get fifty days if you do first fruits on the first day of the week. You cannot get fifty days. It's seven Sabbaths plus a day. It's fifty days. Shavuot's always on the first day of the week. It's right. always a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Listen, thanks for that feedback. And thanks for telling us that for Ezra, you call it the newspaper. (laughs) Shalom. That's really good, brother. That's really good. Okay. Let's turn it over to John and Chris. Guys, what's going on? (laughs) Like like Huntley and Brinkley, you know, now that you guys are doing shows together, you're like Huntley and Brinkley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love this guy. Anyway, oh. Doc, I want to just come back to uh, to Baruch twenty seven, like you were reading there, and eight, which is uh, number eight, which is the the text that's left out. But I believe 
that that might be Yah's work. In other words, he didn't put it in there because he wants you to seek it out. And that could also relate back to Revelation 9. That's when he does his work because those that were keeping the Sabbath and know his name are sealed um, with the promise and then also kept from number nine, which is uh, the attacks of the Shilidim. Which okay, now hold, now hold up right there for a second, Chris. You know the prophecy in Revelation 10. Then the seven thunders sounded. Right. right? Remember that? The seven thunders sounded, and I was about to write that down when the angel said, hold it. Don't write that down. This is sealed up. Don't write it. Okay? Right. All right. Now, I want to call your attention to, if we can, for just one second. I don't want to interrupt, but I do want to call your attention to this. Look at Psalm 29. Right. Okay? Let me read this to you. Give unto Yahweh, O ye mighty, give unto Yahweh glory and strength, right? Chavod i gevara. Give unto Yahweh the glory due unto his name. Hallelujah. Worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters, the El of glory thunders. Yahweh is upon many waters first thunder. The voice of Yahweh is powerful, and the voice of Yahweh is full of majesty, three thunders. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars, four thunders. Yahweh breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Shiron like a young unicorn, right? That's the sixth. Yeah, the voice of Yahweh divides the flames of fire, right? That's number six. And the voice of Yahweh shakes the wilderness. Yahweh shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, right? These are the seven thunders of Yah. These are the seven thunders. This is sealed up, but these are the seven thunders of Yah. What's it say at the end? Yahweh will give strength unto his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. This is this is why I think <laughs> this 27 8 is silent. And I think this is why the seven seals were sealed up in, in, uh, in Revelation, because they are for Yah's people to know and for no one else to know. Amen. Woo. I feel like jumping up and down now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is exciting, is it not? Hey, thanks. Thanks, Chris. You just confirmed something that I heard in the Ruach like two weeks ago. What's that, Donald? About the two Baruch passage and the, the eighth part or the seventh part being sealed, being not included in there. And the cooperation between that and Revelation 10 and the seven thunders. Mm. And mm -hmm. Now, Brother Pigeon, you just gave me Psalm 29. And wow, that's just wow. Woo. Pretty incredible. Isn't praise, it? Be yeah. praise be to Yah. Praise be to Yah. I can go and sit now and, and relax and, and just go <laughs> and wait for, wait, for, wait for the slumber to hit. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, John. Well, I was trying to. I I thought in Revelation one too, it talks about his his he turns around and it's the voice of thunder behind him, right? The voice of thunder, yeah, a voice like thunder right. behind me, right? A voice like thunder behind me. See, I think this is and that's bringing this all to pass. He's bringing that's the opening up of this revelation. See, yeah, you know the beauty of it is that you know. 
when when we understand a lot of times when you read Revelation, particularly if you're a novice reading it, you're reading it to go, this is all gloom and doom, gloom and doom, gloom and doom. But it's not all gloom and doom. It's the seven menorahs that, that in, uh, in which Yahshua stands, he stands in these seven menorahs and he's going to deliver these seven menorahs to tell us what's coming upon the earth that we should know. And, you know, the wickedness of man. And of course, you know, a lot of it has to do with, it has to do with the fact that Yah allowed this earth to be governed by man for 6,000 years. And when, when we look at that and he's done what he's can, but, but man has just become increasingly wicked and increasingly wicked because no one wants to say no, right? They don't want to say no to the things of the flesh and to say yes to Yah. And so as a consequence, here we are. We've arrived at this crazy moment in, in time, and it's a time like no other. You know, when the lockdown happened, right? Somebody was telling me the other day, when the lockdown happened, they realized, okay, we've entered into the end times. There's no question. We've entered into the end times because the lockdown was the first time in history that it went worldwide. Everybody from every country was all on the same page, whether you were communist, socialist, monarchy, a, a tribe, a dictatorship, a democracy, whatever you were, they all did the lockdown. And we saw that for the first time in history, the whole world going into this convulsion. And this is what scripture is all about. The whole world and all the world. This is what Fourth Ezra was just saying and all the world. This is what Second Baruch is saying and all the world. This is what Revelation is saying and all the world. The whole world is doing these things. And so now we're starting to see this. And of course, in all the world doing this still remains a merciful, compassionate Yahweh who calls his people by his name and who will deliver them from the hour of calamity. Those who have a little strength, those who guard his word and have not denied his name. That point that you just made about the 6,000 years that he gave the, the earth's dominion to man that question baffles most people, and it baffled me for quite some time, and I had to challenge it in, in, uh, before his throne to find out. And the reason why Messiah came as the Ben of Adam is, uh, is in that answer. And so uh, the reason why you have to pray that his, that his will be done on Eretz as it is in the Shamaim is because during that 6,000 years, it's not. And, in that, and then when it comes down to the time that the Torah teaches of, the Shabbat set apart, and the schoolmaster teaches us about this time and season when his dominion begins to overtake and, uh, and all, of, uh, all of the enemies of the, uh, of the Mashiach, the firstborn from the dead, all of his enemies are put under his feet and the earth becomes his footstool. Who are his feet? His feet are the ones on the earth that are beautiful, proclaiming that Yahuwah reigns. Mm, on the mountains, what mountains? What are the mountains? It's the dominions of men. And every place the soles of these feet walk upon 
are taken from the dominion of men. Hallelujah. Wow. Isn't that the opening of these seals? That's what we're seeing right now, right? I think that's that's where we're at is is this point. I think we're we're waiting for this uh, for the sixth seal to open. And it says uh, in Revelation 6:12, I beheld, and he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, and every fig was cast her untimely figs as she is shaken with a mighty wind and the heavens departed as a scroll when rolled together and every mountain and island moved from their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains and they said to the mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of the lamb of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. That's this opening up of the veil in the heaven. And I think that's all of earth is going to look up and see the son of man sitting beside the father. They're going to, this is going to be a profound moment in all of history. When these, when this all happens and the, those stars are cast to the earth, what's going to happen when those stars are actually angels and they rise up? And men's hearts fail for things coming upon the earth, as well as in chapter 9, when the pit opens up. All this is going to be dreadful. What about when the dumbs open up and all of these creatures that mankind has been making for the last 30 to 50 years come upon the earth? You know, Flesh and blood didn't give you that. Can we be the mighty men then that take our sword and is able to slay them? Can we slay them with the word? You didn't get that from man. You got that from Yahuwah. And that revelation opens the door for understanding that comes from Yahuwah. That's the big deal. That's the big, big deal, praise Yahuwah. Yeah, I mean, you guys really land something out here today. I think it's very profound. And, you know, Brian's been in, in, in this mix as well when we talk about where we are Absolutely. in this timing right now, because we have gotten to this point. And we're now seeing it. We're now seeing prophecy very clearly realized. So where are we seeing the, the greater exodus at now? Mm. Well, have you got your bag packed? Right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd, 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 I'd like to continue with. Uh, it seems like you, with, it mentions it in. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. It seems like it mentions it in chapter 12 of Revelation, but. Um, um really you know does that occur just for all you know poop hits well, the man? you know yeah i mean the torah portion i, I think chris is going to talk about this a little bit the uh the torah portion does make reference to this but i tell you i think you're going to be surprised as to where the where the wilderness is that he's going to take us I think you're going to be shocked by where that is. And I'll tell you, when I read the Torah portion, I think you're going to see there is going to be an exchange between Russia and the West because all of a sudden we're out of prophecy. And well, in section Baruch 70 states that there is going to be the war of wars. Mm -hmm. The war of wars, yeah. And, and then 
the great earthquake. And then the great quake, yeah. But you're going to see Gog, this poor portion about Gog today, follows the war of war, war wars. It follows it. Mm. And you're seeing Gog rise right now, which is Turkey. And Turkey's going to become the gas hub, and it's going to become a very important military thing, and it's going to, and it's going to claim what is left of Russia, which is going to be its Muslim underbelly. Because the European northern part of Russia is going to be gone, like most of Western Europe and the United States. And what will remain will be this Muslim underbelly in what do they call the 1040 window. And that, that horde will come into Europe. That horde will come against the land. That horde is going to be what's going to survive. And Yah is going to turn his hand against that horde. But like I say, you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to be surprised where the wilderness is for the people of Yah. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to get any farther into it than that. Stephen, did you see that, that they attacked uh, the, the Turkish pipeline and that uh, right after that, Erdogan met with Putin? Mm-hmm. That just oh, yeah. happened. That just happened. Just today it happened? It happened. Uh, the attack on the Turkish pipeline, I think, was yesterday. And his yeah. meeting with uh, Putin was, is today. Yeah. Well, they're now allied. They're totally yeah, oh, they're allied. allied, but it's it's getting heavy duty, and that that control to the mouth of that sea that Turkey has is going to really pay, play a role in this here shortly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this is the rabbis have been saying for the last fifty years: when you see Turkey join with Russia, you're days away from the coming of the Messiah. They've been saying that for years. And here it is. It's right here at the threshold. Right here. So, I mean, we've arrived at these days, man. We've arrived. We have arrived. Okay, Chris, go ahead. Keep going, brother. Okay, so so uh, John 1, that's what we were busy with this morning. <clears throat> and I just wanted to, I know we can carry on. I don't want to take long. So, the light of men was Yahusha, right? Proverbs 6.23 talks about the Torah being the light. So, obviously, the, the word that became flesh, we know Yahusha, Yahusha's Torah, um, that analogy, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended not. So, in other words, <laughs> this is quite beautiful because it shows you that the life is not associated with death. It shows you that the life that Yah gives to all men, to all men, believers, non-believers, is not is not comprehensible by death um, until obviously the final the final time, right? Uh, but that's Yah's decision, not ours. Um, and then uh, the witness of the light, obviously. But uh, verse twelve: But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of Yahweh. And I think that's more or less what we're talking about even to them that believe on his name. Now, you know, I, mean, I know that we've been drumming this. Uh, well, you know, I mean, you've been drumming it, but I've been seconding it for quite a while. The name uh, is vitally important to our belief. And um, I believe that this uh, message that you gave on Thursday was an absolutely unification message, which people must really 
if they haven't seen it, send it and send it to many to see because it's something that binds us together. And I think that's what we have to look for in this time. Um, uh, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Yahweh. And the word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us, and we, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Yahid, the Father, full of grace and truth. So you see, there's the grace again, and I believe the grace of Yah is the power of Yah to live in his Ten Commandments. It's a power that he gives us that would be given to those in the uh, room uh, waiting for the power to be bold in, uh, in the belief system. Now, um, last week we were, we were, we were camping a bit, we were out in, in uh, having a support break. And, um, and then we went through the book of Jonah because of the sign of Jonah. And now in the book of Jonah, you have this, the sign, which is mentioned in the gospel of the three days in the belly uh, happening in the first chapter of Jonah, but there's three more chapters after that. And my question would be, is that the sign of Jonah? Because in, um, in one of the gospels, and I believe it's Luke, um, uh, he says, and, and the people of Nineveh will come back to judge. Well, the point is about Jonah is that he was so upset with Yah for saving people in Nineveh that he went to go and salt in the east side of the city. And, and I was, and, and, and sort of, you know, this whole thing came to, to, to my thought is, well, is that not the sign of Jonah? Because a lot of this community and a lot of the Christian community is waiting for the wrath of Yah to take over and persecute and demolish those that are persecuting the church, those that are um, killing, hating, doing all these horrible things. But is the sign of Jonah not also maybe those, us, right? It's, it's a parable of the workers in the field. You know? In the last hour, they get paid the same amount because there isn't more to be paid. If you get the payment from, the, from Yah, <laughs> there's no greater payment than the payment that he can give you of eternal life and life with him. Now, if you come to a point where the whole world is completely decimated and fearful and people come to the light and they say, yeah, forgive me for what I've done. And they get the same payment as what you and I get. Don't be offended. Be joyous because I believe that there's so many people that, um, that are going to be standing up and down jumping. But haven't we done this for you? Haven't we, um, haven't we been working so hard for you? And yet, um, this, uh, whatever the faith is that this person has that comes to the knowledge of Yah, uh, is saved because Yah came for the world. He did not come for just us. He came for every single living creature on this planet. And, 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 um, and even in the book of Jonah, the last verse, it says, and the cattle, it, it like ends in a question mark, you know. Didn't he come for the people and the cattle? Or aren't there many people and cattle? You know, and, 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 and he's asking Jonah a question. And I think that's sometimes where um, we miss the point of it because we want to argue about whatever we want to argue about. I don't even want to argue about anything because I don't know anything. But, um, but 
but when we come to the grace and the love of Yah, we cannot argue. We, we, cannot, we cannot expect to know things. That Yah, the love of Yah is so great that he wants us to love each other and even those that hate us, that persecute us. Now, I don't know quite how that works because I'm still trying to work it out. And there's times that I really jump out of my, uh, out of Yah's holiness um, <laughs> because, because I'm fighting against, uh, against uh, sort of things that are, that are not right. But uh, in, in Yah's sight, we've got to love those that persecute us. And um, it's a very, for me, that, that's a very testing uh, proposition. No, John, maybe you can carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually, that's part of what uh, I raised my hand about was uh, Thursday night was a very, very powerful, powerful show. And, and what stuck out to me was uh, uh, Romans 4.18. And uh, uh, when Dr. Pigeon was speaking of this hope, and a few weeks ago, we were speaking about... Um, uh, forgiveness and and how this forgiveness is so important and I think as we're talking about these things that are coming upon the earth those two things have to work together right and I'm struggling with this because and I know there's other people in this walk that that their spouse isn't with them and so I ever since Thursday night I've been really trying to pour over this so do I not have the hope that my wife might come under this understanding? Is my prayer life not there? Have I not forgiven her because she didn't follow me because she stayed in the Christian world and I'm here? You know, how do we, how do we work our way through this with that attitude of forgiveness and with that attitude of hope in our prayer life and in our desire for others to come to this understanding? Yeah, yeah, beautiful, John. And, you know, and I'll tell you, when we talk about the hope against hope, you know, I, I find that passage in Romans to be remarkable because Paul is literally saying Abraham was dead. Now, we know what he was talking about. He was sexually dead, right? Right. And then he goes on to say, and Sarah's womb was dead, right? There was, there was, there were no more ovum in Sarah's womb. And yet, Abraham believed. And what did he believe? What did he believe, right? Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, Elohim was also able to perform. What he had promised, he was also able to perform. And this was the belief that was counted as righteousness. Hallelujah. Right, yeah. that's exactly right. And I think, yeah, I and my whole house, I and my whole house shall be saved. Overrules the loss and the deal. Keep her covered. Keep her covered. Keep that promise in your mind that I and my whole house shall be saved, because that belongs to you. Yeah, amen. 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 amen, David. Amen. amen. Thank you, David. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's a great word. It, you know, it's it's yeah. it's what we've been reading tonight. Right? It's it's what? It, it, what? It's what everybody's been saying tonight. It's, it's part of the promise. It's part of what's written. 
And if it's written, do we believe? And, you know, that's, that's really where Yah's power comes in to give us strength to believe and to remain in his Torah, to remain in his statutes, to do his will, to Shema. And, and I, I mean, there's, not, there's nothing else I can say to that. I mean, really, that is just what it is. And, and we've just got to take it and pray that Yah strengthens us in our weakness to remain. And that's that. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to thank you, brothers. Thank you. I want to, first of all, I want to thank you for being so candid with us and, uh, and sharing with us at this level, because we are at a point where, you know, we're not going to be able to hide or do anything else. We're not sitting here trying to set any kind of records, check anything off on the box, any of this. We are called to be the obedient servants of Yah. We're called into the common subjection of the faith. So let us find it. Let us find it. Okay. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. John. John Barr. Hey. Hey. I'm coming around. <laughs> wow. what, a, what, a, what a lot of material here tonight. And yeah, Thursday... Thursday was really great uh, because for me, it, it narrowed down some very key issues that come directly from the word that, that we can, um, I mean, it's like foundational material. This is what we look for, that, that message to the church of Philadelphia um, is very clear. It's as clear as the church of Laodicea is finished, you know. So this is where I put my hope in in this word, these words that tell us what Yah expects. They're very simple. And they're like, if, if the word of God was a massive treasure chest is sitting in the earth in that field buried, you know, and the guy goes looking for that treasure, and we have this, this treasure chest. But inside that treasure chest are these magnificently precious, this one and this one and this one. And it, it's not that many. I mean, it's a whole chest full of treasure, but there are these nuggets that just breathe life uh, into me. And then when, when you hear it come out and you find it yourself reading, this is what the hope is for me that when somebody puts their hand to the plow, they don't look back. That's what he says. You know, we don't drive our cars looking in the rearview mirror. And, and in these days, you know, it's interesting that the word, our, our scriptures, all of them that we know of, and some we, we probably don't even know of yet may come out. Um, this is the only truth. There is no other truth. And, and it becomes very clear now that is, that is absolutely a fact. But not all the ears are made to hear. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. Amen. That is something that he doesn't say. There are other sheep and many other voices. This is, this is the thing that's scary to me for those sheep, you will. 
that they do not hear and they cannot hear. He was clear about that by talking in, to the world in parables that they would not understand. He's telling people something that only in the spirit we can, we can understand. And that understanding does not come from, from my mind. It's a spiritual thing. And, and this is really seems obvious to me that the word, as we see it and know it, and as it's been given to us, is for the believers. Unbeliever is not going to hear it. They, they didn't hear it before the flood because they couldn't hear it. And when, when we go back and read the prophets in the time of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these guys were warning and warning and warning that the Assyrians are coming to the northern kingdom. They're going to wipe you out because of your disobedience. And same thing with the southern kingdom. It's interesting that Jonah came up because he did eventually go to Nineveh and preach. And what that prevented because of them receiving the word, even the king up there, it spared that destruction of Nineveh by 100 years. That's almost two generations before the Babylonians came and wiped them out. So Jonah's message, whether he liked it or not, was God's, uh, Yah's purpose. Because he had people in Nineveh, some of the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom were in there as captives and slaves, and their generations were there. So he wanted to get them the message, I guess, as we can imagine. So the horrible things that are coming that we're looking at are very disturbing. But, you know, I can't do anything about it except understand this, that these things that are happening we're seeing in our time right now is, is, is God's plan. It is his plan that this comes on the earth. And one of the, one of the positive things is that people who have not yet believed are going to be looking for what's the answer when the things that they did believe in before believing in Yah began to fail. That's why I'm here. Everything that I had believed in, and it all helped me to get to this place because I believed in things that were right and not wrong. I believed in truth and not lies. I believed in integrity and honesty and duty and country and these kind of noble ideas that lay the foundation of this country. And they come from Judeo-Christian ethics, even the law, our Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the whole idea of let liberty be proclaimed throughout the land. This is Moses. It's on the Liberty Bell. I believed in those things. I still do. <laughs> because of where they come from. Not because of them themselves. But I know where the origin of that is, and it's in the Word. I wasn't sure about that before many days. I am now. There is nothing left or going to be left on this planet when you read the last chapter. So that this enemy is 
blinded, just like the people in Jerusalem from the king on down. They couldn't see what was happening until those people started eating their children. And it, you know, the, the blinders fell off. But it's not because the prophet hadn't been banging the drum or the watchmen hadn't been on the walls. See, so the blindness is for a purpose. So that once it begins to be very obvious, this is the stories in the Bible, that these things that we depend on, are, we can no longer depend on them. Where are his people going to turn? Well, that's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> I got turned and turned and turned and turned for, for you know, 70 years or so. Well, you know what you're saying too, John, it's equally true about the name. The name is, is given and it falls on deaf ears. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, year after year after, well, I don't, you know, I, well, you know, I, I have my own version of the name that I want to use. And, you know, or I'm, I'm, you know, that's not what, you know, I had a guy just take me to task. It was one of the first comments on the video I did Thursday night. It opens up with Jesus is Lord. You know, and I said, well, you know, we adhere to the name Yahusha. Oh, well, you know, by and he just breaks me over the coals, you know. And, but, the, but the, what does it, it say in scripture? I will take my name out of the mouths of the children of Judah. Yeah. I will take my name out of their mouth. Take it out. This is Yah's doing. And so here we are. So we're in, we're in this hour where proclaiming his name. What did Mashiach do? Right? That's always the question. What did Mashiach do? Not what would Jesus do? What did yeah. Yahusha actually do? Amen. Yeah. And there it is at the end of the, the end of John chapter 17. I have declared your name unto them and will declare it. And will declare it. That and the that love of you that is in me might be in them. And, and right after that, he was arrested. <laughs> yep. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. You, can leave, you can leave that that part of the story out, John. Okay, just you know. Well, can I add one other? Can I add one other thing to this, John? Um, sure. You know, when we think about this, what does Yahusha say about Judas Iscariot? Right? He said that uh, uh, these things must come. Woe to the man that it comes by. But that also applies to the man of lawlessness. Uh, these things must come, but woe to the man that brings it. I think that applies to today. It does. Sure does. Why? So, such a time as this. Yeah. Such a time as this. Anyway. Uh, well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Glad the brothers are contributing. It's, it's good appreciate to hear from the Lori head. Everyone, everyone, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Okay. Raina, how are you, sister? Good. How are you? Good, Rana. How are you? Shabbat Shalom. Just wanted Shabbat to make Shalom. a comment. Okay. That Shabuot is looking up and it's our dependency on Yah. What do you mean by that? Dependency that he we are dependent on him. That's and that's the that's the nature of the feast. That, that's the that's the nature of the feast. That's what I was taught in, in the soul. Yeah. And 
Yeah. That to me, uh, I kept because I see it that it is my dependency on yeah. It's on yeah. Nothing else. Yeah, and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same. And that's the feast of that's the feast of Sukkot. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, no, thank okay. you, Raina. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, sister. Something for us to remember. Very good word. Thank you. Okay. And okay, iPhone. You're up. Hi, Dr. P. I don't want to make you weary about this subject, but I just wanted to add two more topics on that 11-11 um, and then just kind of give my opinion on what we're discussing today. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Thanks to Eileen, I did uh, come up with some more information on the 11-11, and it turns out that this November 11th will mark the um, anniversary of Noah shutting the door of the ark, and from that um, November 11th to the next November 11th is 110 days, exactly, and, um, and that won't happen again until after 2100, or excuse me, uh, I think he checked. He tried to find the next date that would happen. He couldn't find it. And the second one is, is that there's going to be two eclipses from now till November 11th. And they both are at their fullest point on the universal time at 11 o'clock. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, so and, you might be some indicator. I think what we, we had Doug Fassett had his hand up there for a minute. I don't know if we lost Doug or not. Um, Doug, if you're still with us, uh, put your hand up. Maybe, maybe we can hear from you a little bit. Um, that's very interesting that you're talking about this. Yeah, I mean, these are always a question, right, as to what the date is, what the date will be, right? Uh, and of course, you know, we don't know. I mean, we do know that there's ominous events in front of us. There's been some really interesting code stuff that's been published lately, Bible code stuff that's been published lately, and that is uh, also worthy of consideration. But what we do know is this irrespective of the date, we're, we're facing very ominous times right now. And those of us who have lived a long life know, know stuff when we see it. I mean, you know, you can, you can believe that when someone says they're going to do something, they're probably going to do it. And the kind of rhetoric that's going on right now about everybody preparing for a nuclear strike, uh, whether it be the UK, whether it be France, Germany, the Netherlands, Finland, Norway, uh, everybody's preparing for a nuclear strike and the Russians have moved nuclear weapons into the theater. I mean, they're within uh, what a hundred miles of the, uh, of NATO borders now with major aircraft. They've put all kinds of weapons into the theater and so on. So it appears that that kind of thing is coming. Now for us, you know, one, what's one nuclear winter to the next when you live in Alaska, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're all nuclear winters up here, you know, but, uh, I mean, I should I shouldn't make light of the issue, but but the fact is that it is what it is, and Yah is going to take care of his people the way he's going to take care of his people, and and that's that. And it's more important for me to be faithful, uh, whether I'm living or dying, than to not be faithful. So I mean, that's really the bottom line. I'd, I'd rather be faithful than than be alive, you know. So anyway, you heard it come out of my mouth. Okay, well, thank you for that for that update. All right. Let's go to Karen. Karen, are you there? Yes. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Uh, Dr. P, I don't know if there's someone that um, can do run through the seals. Um, John's comment was wonderful. Um, I didn't take notes on it. Um, 
it doesn't need to be long, but can we review like which seals have been? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking um, about the seals, you're talking about Revelation, right? Chazon, mm -hmm. chapter six. Now, this is one of the seven menorahs that are that are you know revealed in the book of Revelation. But it reads like this: And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. And one of the four living creatures say, "Come and see." And I saw him behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. We've talked about this one really kind of ad nauseum. This really means a lot of things. The bow that's used there is also a discussion of the rainbow, if you will, the rainbow. And we know that the LGBT rainbow has been used to go forth and conquer the world okay. and, to, and to assert its authority over all national authority. And, you know, and the question is, what political group are they representing with this rainbow flag that's, that's flown over the White House and over the Canadian flag and over the British flag and over every other flag? You know, now, of course, in many cases, that rainbow flag has been superseded by the golden blue flag of Ukraine. Where they used to have a rainbow flag up there. Now up comes the Ukrainian Nazi flag. Anyway, okay, so he went forth to conquer. Now the second seal opens, and I heard a second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat there on to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Well, you know, the army in Russia is called Krasnya Armia, Red Army, Red Army. And the great sword that they have been given are nuclear weapons that are greater than any sword that's ever been put together ever. And they're about to take peace away from the whole earth. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld a, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat upon him had a pair of balances, which John Kalb would tell you was actually a yoke. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a measure of wheat for a dinar and three measures of barley for a denarius and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. This is really talking about prices associated with essential goods, isn't it? It's talking about mm. prices associated with essential goods. This is happening now all over the world. We have really breakaway inflation now. I mean, now they can't hide it. We're going into a hyperinflationary spiral. It's going to be really bad in the United States. Most people don't want to admit it. But when Saudi Arabia cut their production and Biden comes out and says, I'm going to sanction you. you know, Biden is the kind of guy that when he was president of the student body in high school, you know, he'd ask a girl for a date and she's, well, sorry, I'm going with someone else. He would immediately vote in to sanction her and seize the <laughs> bank account for telling him no. So he comes after, he, you know, he sanctions the, the king of Saudi Arabia. So what happened? All of the OPEC states immediately joined up with Russia. So they ditched the dollar. So the petrodollar is now dead, which means that we've got $31 trillion worth of money that's about to come floating ashore in the United States. So you're going to see hyperinflation at an absolutely unprecedented level. If you can get anything, if the price is going to be in the, you know, what used to cost you a hundred bucks is going to be a thousand, then 10,000, then a hundred thousand. And pretty soon you'd be looking for a trillion dollar note to buy a loaf of bread. When he'd opened the, uh, the fourth seal, I heard the, vo uh, the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see and look and behold a green horse. Now, many scriptures, it says a pale horse, but the word there is chloros, the green horse. Now, this is what we call the green agenda. And the name uh, that said on him was death. 
and Sheol followed with him, the green agenda. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. What is, look at all these people that have advanced the green agenda, talking about climate change and about how we have to enact the green agenda, and they're going to kill a fourth of the earth. They're going to use warfare to do it. They're going to use famine to do it. They're going to use death to do it. They're going to use plagues to do it. They're going to use beasts to do it. Anything they can to kill a fourth of the earth. And when I heard the, the fifth seal open, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they had. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Yahweh, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on the earth? How long? Don't you ever feel that cry in your own soul? How long? Yeah. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And lo, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Now, there's a story out there that two days ago, the sun for a few seconds went completely black. I don't know if you guys saw that story. But I heard that story that for a few seconds, the sun went completely black and will go black as a sackcloth of hair and the moon become as blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. This is what John was talking about. These fig trees, when these stars fall, we're going to find out they're demons, they're watchers, they're angels. And you're going to see mighty beings on the earth that you've never seen before. And the heavens departed as a squirrel when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island moved out of their places. Well, what happens when a squirrel rolls up? It rolls up. Right? This is the earth going, Eek. yeah, this used to be the North Pole. It's not anymore. Now it's the South Pole because the heavens are scrolling. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens of the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is the day of his wrath to come. And who shall be able to stand? Okay. Yes. The seventh seal is going to unleash something else. But anyway, there you go. There's the seals. So thanks for the question, Karen. Thank thanks. you. Appreciate it. Sorry, Doc. Can I just add there? Um, very, very uh, interesting. The the figs with the untimely figs. Now Yahusha walks up to the fig tree. Remember in the in the in the, in the parable. Oh, well, not parable in the story. And he says, "Well, you know what? There are no figs." And he curses the fig tree. Now that wasn't the time for figs. Remember, it was it was it was not the time for for fruit of the fig tree. But I believe that's the fig tree of of um it could be of demons but it also could be of man uh and and you know you um adam and eve like adam and eve clothed themselves with the fig tree leaves um so there is no fruit that good fruit that can come forth from man it can only come forth from yah so man is influenced by the devils and therefore um won't produce good fruit unless he's connected to Yah. And that uh, he cursed that fig tree to the roots. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that in because I think the untimely fruit um, means that it doesn't matter if they produce bad fruit. 
it will always be untimely in Yah's um, in Yah's timeline. It 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 won't it won't prosper. It 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 will it will reach his goal because all things are created for him and by him, um, but or by him and for him. But uh, the, the the fruit that it produces uh, is is not the is is not the be all and the end all. Uh, it's it's just uh, another uh, another asset for Yah to 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 get his his dominion on this earth. Yes, yeah, I see that victory as representative of the nation of Israel, and that you had a people here who had created the Talmud. And who were going through all the stuff. Well, I only walk this far. I light a fire. I do this. I put this shoe on first. I put that shoe on. I perform this ritual. I wash my hands. I do this. None of this stuff had any love of Yah in any of it. It's all I'm going to perform these traditions. And therefore, I'm doing the right thing. And Yah said, that is a tree that will never produce fruit. That's a dead tree. It's never going to produce fruit. Yes, and he, and he does he does, uh, he does say Israel is the big tree in, uh, is it Ezekiel 23, I think. So I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm misquoting, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, all right. Thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Karen. Okay, Ipa, Corey. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good to hear, okay. good to hear from me, Ipa. Yeah, it's just very short. Uh, I would like you to know that I've sent you an email. And I would like you to have a look at that because it, is, it contains a link to a blog I wrote and published over a year ago. I would like you to have a look at that. Okay. That's all, that's all I wanted to say. But just, just to point your attention to the fact that I sent you an email. Okay, fine. I, I'll, I'll read your email. I'll do it. I'll break down and do it. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding, you, brother. Of course I will. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything you wanted to add? Anything you wanted to tell us about it or here today? Okay, no, I have to unmute again. Okay, well, all right. Well, thank you, Ipa. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Doug, uh, no, wait, Ipa, you, were you, were you gonna tell us something about this? Well, I think it would be better if you read the email and follow the link to the blog I wrote, because um, I would like to know what, what you think about what I wrote. Okay. And after that, I might see, if, 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 when you've reacted, then I might actually share within this group about it. But for this moment, I wouldn't want to do that. Okay, all right, okay, all right, fair enough, I'm with you, okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay, Doug, have you got some things you can share with us today? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a few things. Uh, one of the things that uh, um, everybody is, is mentioning is the sign of Jonah. And of course, Jonah means dove, which of course descended on Yeshua. And of course, the dove is in... Uh, in uh, um, Genesis during the flood. So there's other, a whole lot of possibilities, I suppose, besides the three days and three nights, but I'm, I'm betting the three days and three nights is probably correct. Uh, the other thing is the, uh, 
the matrix that I had worked on, that I'd shown everyone, uh, that very clearly shows the, uh, the gathering of the elect on Sukkot. Have no clue what year. There is no indication of what year that would ever be, but that's when it's going to happen. And that is like in stone. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, there's been a couple of codes produced lately that we're talking about Sukkot and it having some, uh, you know, you know, some very poignant things like nuclear war and so forth. And of course, the question is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of guys will use the, uh, the Jewish calendar year to determine the year, you know, that's being said. Right. And, you know, I, I have my own suspicions about that calendar year, about whether or not it's accurate or not, you know. Right. So, you know, those are always questions. But I do appreciate that, Doug. I really appreciate it. And I really thank you for the work you do with the code searching and that you're willing to share here at our group. So, well, um, the, the codes are when it shows you your name and everything you did. I, I, did, a, I did a table. And it's all in Psalms, and it has my full name, everything I did from 1961 through the end of 1962. I was in, joined the Navy. I went to Hawaii, Guam, Ireland, all over Vietnam, you name it, with my best friend, Paul Mason, whose name is also in there. And uh, that way, you get the feeling the codes are, are there, that they really tell you messages. But when you go to find out when something is going to happen, it's not it will so show you the promise that will be given to you, but you're not going to get any kind of a clue to what date it is. Ah, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, that's very interesting, you know, because, of course, you know, uh, the Bible is what it is. You know, Scripture is what it is, and it gives us information. You know, we, uh, you know, we as people are, you know, we're called to understand it. And when you look at when you look at the prophets, the prophets did the same thing over and over again, which is point people back to the Torah, you mm -hmm. know, and and tell them very clearly what the Torah says. You know, if you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do these things, you will be cursed. And if people understood that, then they would know what the Torah was talking about. So, well, I appreciate that, Doug. Thank you, brother. Okay, I'm going to move on, and we're going to okay. talk, talk with Catherine. Hope to see you again, though, Doug, really. Okay. Catherine, where are you? Shalom, Dr. P. I was going to ask you a question about the Druids, but I think we should leave that for today. I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Um, I've also got a question about the keys, but I think we'll leave that for today as well. Because, the, but I was wondering, can you bring your whiteboard out? Yes. And I'm going to show you something Here's with my a whiteboard. star. I don't think you can draft on it, though, Catherine. I don't think you can. You, you, you can draw on it. Okay, what do you want me to draw on it? Okay. Um, 
basically, if you can draw a clock, I know it sounds funny, significant numbers on the clock are three, six, and nine, and 12. Right. Now, um, it is so hard to explain, and it all comes down to the Star of David with the time clock and the vortex mathematics source code of the universe. Now, this was explained to me by a member, ex-member in a secret society who has now come to Yah, praise Yah. Now, your friend, Frank Germano. Yes, Frank, yeah. Yeah. Now, he did a little thing on uh, Facebook by Nikola Tesla. And these were the exact words that were used to me by somebody in a secret society. If only you knew the significance of three, six, and nine, you will have the keys to the universe. Yeah, yeah, that's Nikola Tesla speaking. Yeah. Yes. But we're not going to get into that here. It's coming to something, I realize that, but it's coming to something significant in the Bible. Which is? Which is, could the star of David be an abomination? And the answer is yes, it could. Okay, because if you draw a line from the numbers of nine to three to six back to nine, it is an upside down pyramid. That's correct. Now, if you do a Tesla's one, right, they are significant numbers. Now, yes, if you no. mold them together, it forms the Star of David. That's correct. If you, right. Okay. Now, my comment. Keep in mind a couple of things. Here's a couple of things, Catherine. Right. In, in Paleo Hebrew, this is the yeah. letter Dalit. Okay. Yes. That's the letter Dalit. So if you were to write the name uh, Dude, mm -hmm. his name was Dude, mm -hmm. then in the Paleo, it would look something like this. Okay. Yeah. So when you talk about the Star of David, then what he tried to do was he tried to say, okay, let your will be done on earth down below. As oh, you just said it. And, but the correct star would have the bob here like this, spelling dude. Exactly. But, but the difficulty with that is that why is that missing in the current world? Because they don't have Mashiach. That's why it's missing. It is missing because of that. Now, um, basically, what I was told, I'm going to share what I was told by somebody in a secret society. They do take a few things out of the Bible, but they don't look at the Bible as a whole. Okay, now hold on. Just stop for a second. 
Okay. Yeah. Because I don't think I want to go down this path today. No, I don't want to go down fine. this path. And and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about it at some other time, Catherine. You and I have to talk about it initially to discuss about what's going on because there's a whole bunch of things with secret societies, Teslas, exactly. uh Nikola Tesla's exactly. you have to remember Nikola Tesla was a self-confessed proponent of the Kundalini. Okay. Yes, I know. Okay, and so, okay. It's, it's so that's why we're not gonna, we're not going to we're not going to approach that stuff here on Shabbat today. We're not going to do it. Yeah, that's why I asked if the star of David was an abomination. Without well, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of stars are an abomination. I mean, from my point of view, the star of Rempham is actually an eight pointed star, but that's mm -hmm. my take on it, right? I mean, we don't have any, we don't, there's no ancient work that you come out and say, here's the star of Remphan. Here's a picture of it. That's, you know, showing up right here next to Ishtar. We do know that the star, that there was an eight pointed star that was used by Ishtar in the Babylonian sequence. So the star of David, when was this star created? Who knows? It's a construct that's out there. Uh, and but the star of David, when you see without the Bob is indicated, is indicative of the religion of Judaism. And that mm. is that is this a is what I was going to come to. This is a religion that is without the Mashiach, so it's exactly. without the Bob. And exactly. so, okay, but this is what. But what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to, you and I have to take this up privately to discuss it first, because mm. I'm not going to go down a path of Nikola Tesla's geometry, uh, with with uh, with this group. Okay. No, that's completely fine, but. From what I've been told, I just feel that the Star of David has been corrupted. By well, the it Jews. has been. It, it, it has been. I mean, there's no question. But and by the you have to keep awful wicked societies. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, like, for instance, I have a picture of a Masonic Lodge in uh, Dunfermline, Scotland, that has, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the, the square and compass, it also has the Star of David next to it, and it has the sickle moon of Islam next to it, right on the on the concrete header above the doorway going into the Masonic Hall. It is it, such an abomination because they allow people who believe in any god, so it could be anything. Yeah. Well. It, yeah. it, it is horrendous, Five, these six, societies. Stars are used in witchcraft. Yeah, yeah. Five, six, seven, eight, and nine-sided stars are used in witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah, great point. Okay. All right. So we're going to go ahead and leave this off the equation. Okay. No, that's completely fine. Okay. All right, then. All right. So, then, so now we got to, we need to try to get back on track here with some scripture for a minute. Okay. And so, um, you know, I'm going to come back to this notion that when we talk about we talk about uh, this faith journey. That one of the things that we talked about uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the common subjection in the faith is this we, that we seek out the imputed righteousness of Abraham. We seek out the imputed righteousness of Abraham. So this is one of the big things that Paul is discussing in Romans, and this is where people get confused, because when you look at the covenant, when you look at the covenant that was given to Abraham, you see what the covenant was given that he would one, he would have give possession to the promised land, and two, he would be the father of many nations, and this is what Paul is talking about, 
if Abraham is the father of many nations, who are his children? Remember that the many nations phrase is Hebrew for melo goyim, melo goyim. Mm. And melo goyim, uh, of course, means many, many people. Remember that not only were there 12 tribes of Ishmael who were also blessed, but there were other children that were born with Keturah and other wives that Abraham had after Sarah died. So when you see him being the father of many nations, the question is, who are the children of Abraham? And the children of Abraham, and this is the point that Paul is making, are children who believe, as Abraham did, that Yah will do just what he said he will do, what he promised to do. And by this, the righteousness of Abraham is imputed unto us, and we become the children of Abraham. By that belief, we become the children of Abraham. And then he's very specific in Romans 4, talking about that. In fact, I, wanna, I do want to end with this, because I think it's an important point here. That when we talk about uh, when we talk about this uh, this promise, he says here, he says that okay. Therefore, it is it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even Elohim, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Okay. Now, it says here now, it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Yahushua HaMashiach, our Adonai, from the dead. Mm. So who are we called to believe in? He who raised up Yahushua HaMashiach from the dead. I mean who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Okay. So we will talk about this more and I'm hopefully I'm going to be able to do more on the common subjection to the faith this upcoming week. So I want to thank you brothers and sisters for coming together for Shabbat. And, you know, I pray that your week is going to go well for you and that we would come under Yah's cover and that you would continue to remain faithful and without fear about the things coming on the earth. And that as we share, share with kindness and gentleness and humbleness of heart, okay? To extend the love of Yah to the brethren. All right. And may Yah's mercy be upon you. And may his divine appointments be with you for this upcoming week. Right. Hallelujah. In the name of Hallelujah. Okay. Thank right, you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom, everybody. Shalom. 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 Thank you. Shalom. 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 Shalom, everyone. Blessings. Blessings. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.
in here. 